Ryback's gone, Dane. Did you see the body? Assumption is the mother of all podcasts. <laughs> yeah, there we go. That's the best one. That's hey, the, that's the best one. Welcome, everyone, they to Blank Check with Griffin and David. This is a podcast where we take director's filmographies and we watch from start to finish, episode to episode, analyzing along the way of their career when they became a Blank Check director. Mm. Now, today is a special one-off episode because we are doing a palate cleanser mm. between our last uh, miniseries, which was Cameron Crow, and our next miniseries, which is going to be very exciting, James Cameron. Mm. But today on the podcast, we are doing a one-off episode about 1995's action thriller. Mm-hmm. Under Siege 2. Dark territory. Boom, baby. <laughs> now, I'm uh, I'm producer Ben. <laughs> yeah, good. Thank you for introducing uh, yourself. Do you go by any other names? I have other names. I want to see if you can do uh, this. Producer Ben. Yep. Uh, the the Ben Deucer. Uh, the Haas. Mm. The Fuckmaster. Mm. The Poet Laureate. Yes. Um, birthday Benny. Uh-huh. Uh, wait, what was the change? Oh, Mr. Hositive. Mr. Hositive. Yeah, you didn't I, have to do the Haas. Right, That's okay. Right. That's okay. And um, I think I hit them all. I Birthday don't know. Benny, the tiebreaker. Yeah, the tiebreaker. Oh, the tiebreaker. Sure, 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 sure. Keeper, you're not Professor Crispy. And I've also graduated along the many series. series. Uh, yeah. Of course, there's Kylo Ben. Mm. Uh, uh, ben won Kenobi. No, uh, uh, producer Ben Kenobi. Yes. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, no, sorry, right. sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, and then uh, M. Night. <laughs> ben no, Night. No, Ben Night Shyamalan. <laughs> and then, uh, what is it, Benny Lane now? Uh, no, I don't know, actually. For- Say Benny oh. thing, I think. Say yeah, Benny we did a vote, but I haven't looked at the results. <laughs> um, ben Sate, also. You forgot yeah. Ben Sate. Oh, Ben Sate, of course. Uh, and uh, Hello Fennel. And yeah, always. we see you on the street. If you see me on the street, yeah. you can always wish me a hearty Hello Fennel, but don't you dare call me Professor Crispy. I will smack you in the face. And it's oh worth noting that, that you know, uh, you are, as we all know, our finest film critic. Of course. And so we've handed you the reins, as yeah. we like to do sometimes once, between once miniseries. every so often, we let yeah. Ben choose a movie. Yeah, and you chose Under Siege 2. Yes. Dark Territory. Oh man, I watched this movie anytime this was on TV or like I had this, this is another VHS uh-huh. mm-hmm. film I owned and I would watch repeatedly. I love this one. Did you see it in theaters? I did not. No, no. I think I was too young. I was yeah, 95, you know. Yeah, I was probably. like a 10 years old, but obsessed with Steven Seagal and just in general bad 80s action movies. Love yes. them. I love the pacing of them. It's just like easy digestible certainly dumb garbage <laughs> and it's fun and why not? Why not? It's fun and why not? So here we are. Talking. Under Siege 2, Dark Territory. <laughs> you don't need to see the first Under Siege. Well, okay. I don't know. That, but we, I a got film by Jeff Murphy, yeah. Yeah. Uh, who I want to talk about in a little bit because he is a great director and I can't believe he made this movie. I've seen a lot of his movies. Done a, done a bunch of sequels too. He was the sequel well, guy for a while. He well, did Young because, Guns too, right? Yeah, yeah. because he was, he was in a New Zealand filmmaker who was like, I mean- before Peter Jackson, he was the greatest thing like New Zealand cinema had ever produced. Then he comes over to Hollywood, and Hollywood's like, yeah, sequels. Like, you want to do some sequels? Yeah, because he did Young Guns 2. Yeah. I don't know. He did Never Say Die. What's that again? He did know. Fortress 2 Reentry. Okay. Uh, <laughs> he did a lot of movies, like a yeah. lot of crap, you know? 
Uh, I'm going to throw one thing out there from the get-go. No, new, Never See Die is a New Zealand movie. Yeah, go on. Yes. I think this movie's really well directed. Yeah, well, he's a great director. Yeah. I I think there there is, like, a uh, a technical proficiency and yeah. clarity to this film yes. that I'd that say- It's not necessary in movies like this. And it's very much lacking from, like, the equivalent movies of today. For the equivalent action movies. Well, yes. Okay, well, here's, here's one thing we're going to talk about. Yeah. I'm eating sour Skittles right now. I know what you're going to ask, and I have an answer. Well, okay. I, that, that, that really threw me, actually. Okay, ask your question. Well, th- is this happening today, these kinds of movies? Very very little, much less. Yes. There's, I, there's Statham. That's what I was going to say. That's the answer. I think Statham's the only guy I who's occupying only a similar one. space. The sort of B-list, mid-sized yes. action movie star. You know, movies that don't need to clear, you know, 100 million yeah. domestic or whatever. You know, like, you know, it's, it's decent budget, decent return. But, Long life on yes. video, you know, no one's asking many questions. Arnold Melchon finances them. Yeah. But, but I think- Yeah, right. They're right. they're financed by some guy who owns like a building in Qatar. And he's <laughs> like, I love Jason Statham. Like, you know, like, and they're like, well, you're going to love Mechanic Resurrection. He's yeah. going to kill someone in a swimming pool. Which I saw The Mechanic. That movie's not a sequel to The Mechanic. No, I think they were just like, Statham's back. Yeah, that's a sequel to every Jason Statham movie, Mechanic Resurrection. What I was going to say is, What's I, I think um, they're- is a lot more TLC devoted to Under Siege 2 than there is to Mechanic Resurrection. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, I think as part of the direction the film industry has been going in where it's like things are either tiny or they're huge. Mm-hmm. Like, what Seagal used to be, which was like a $40 million movie, yeah. is now like a 15 or $20 million movie on a Statham level. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Like, right. the midsize, the actual midsize doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. This was a $60 million movie. Well, this was is, a sequel to- Right, to a to a much right. a much more conservatively but I But I think, film. yes. I think originally he was sort of in the 40 zone was kind of his, yeah. like, area. You know, or, or in today's dollars, it would be about 40. Um, I also think that- um, well, I I think I think this movie is a testament to a type of uh, a movie star that doesn't exist anymore. But we'll get to that. I want to let Ben no, host. It do, doesn't exist as much anymore. Yeah. I mean, I think our friend Matt Singer, uh-huh. who will maybe one day be on this podcast, I would uh, love that. Yeah, yeah. hopefully, will has talked about Schwarzenegger as like an auteur. You know, like it's like don't look at the director of Schwarzenegger's movies. Yes. Like Schwarzenegger's really the auteur. Same think, goes for Seagal. I was going to say, I think that's true for a lot of these 80s, 90s action stars like Van Damme, Seagal, you know, the lesser Schwarzeneggers, but still, same kind of deal. You know, the directors were coming in, they they wanted, they needed them to be proficient yes. and not piss off the, you know, prima donna. At the, at the, that's the thing. Know. All these guys were prima donnas and they yeah. were super, um, like, self-conscious and protective of their image. Right. And Absolutely. all the movies are about inflating their own dick. Yes. You know? Absolutely. And it's like, you watch these movies. I mean, here's the thing. Yes, the the stars of like a Chuck Norris film, a Steven Seagal Chuck film, Norris, a Schwarzenegger yeah. movie, a Stallone movie, they are ultimately the final voice of these films, I feel like, because the film is so much a testament to who they want people to think they are. Mm-hmm. Like their movies function as a tribute to them. Right. Um, but I also think that the interesting thing is to look at a film like this and see that it is well-directed because you're like, this guy is doing a really good job uh, swerving between the traffic cones. Yes. Because you know how many needles he had to thread in this movie. Okay, but Ben, take the reins. I just, as we now no, we set I this up. No, I think that's good. I, we, there I, are some I agree points I want to make. I, I think we should go through Steven Seagal's uh, like backstory a little bit. Oh, I want to talk about his backstory. But you go I, ahead, Ben. Well, I mean, yeah, sure. I don't know his backstory. I mean, I assumed he was like a keto guy. 
He was, he was he, a karate oh, do, do you man? want to know his backstory? I mean, his backstory is, yeah. He I was, know his backstory. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, he was an Aikido and karate ex. I mean, like, I think he started life as, like, a dishwasher. You know, he has one of these, like, you know, rags to riches type yeah. stories. Uh, and he, like, met some, like, you know, a karate teacher when he was a dishwasher, right? right? Who, like, worked in the restaurant who, like, taught him everything he knows and he became this, like, legendary, you know, at least this is the Seagal version of the story, which is the only one I've heard. Like, uh-huh. I don't know if there's any massaging of the truth here. Now, the keto, the fighting style that he specializes yes, where in. where he's sort of moving his hands around a lot. It's very much yes. about taking other people's energy and reacting it to it. Them. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, and but, it's uh, not very cinematic. It's no. not, although it's <laughs> it's arresting to watch. Yes. Like, it, it, there is certainly something where you're like, what is happening right but now? But more like modern dance than yeah, like action. I mean, that's very, the incredible very, thing about yeah. him is like everyone else in a Steven Seagal movie kind of fights better than Steven Seagal but he, because they're doing like on-camera fighting rather than he's practicing a real art form that doesn't pop visually. It's like basically just like I did something to your wrists, and they're right. like, oh. Well, it's just a lot of waving his hands around, mm-hmm. like sort of defensively, preemptively, and then the moves are so quick and are so contained and small that it doesn't really look like it. It's like <laughs> it looks like 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 a nun's like disciplinary action. You know what I'm saying? Like it doesn't look like. Oh yeah, it looks like he's. Yeah. I mean, it looks like the joke of like two cats fighting and like just <laughs> yeah. slapping each other in the face. Anyway, he was. Michael Ovitz's Aikido teacher. Now, you yeah. guys, you know, podcast listeners might not know who Michael Ovitz is, but he founded the Creative Arts Agency. He was like CAA. a legendary, like, renegade agent of the 70s who became, like, the whatever, the change maker in that industry. Yeah, he kind of owned Hollywood. He yeah. was completely, completely 100% out of his mind. Yeah, crazy. I mean, person. like, well known as being one of the biggest lunatics in Hollywood who eventually went over to Disney after 20 years of, like, total success at CIA. And, like, literally crash and burn out of Disney within two years. Yeah. And, like, I mean, if you've seen the late, what's it called? The 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 late break, you know, the where the Letterman Leno HBO TV movie. Oh, The Late Shift. The Late Shift, that's yes. what it's called. Uh, Treat Williams plays him for, like, two great scenes. Yeah. It's, like, the best, you know. But anyway, he was crazy. Seagal was, like, his Akita teacher, and he was just like, you're going to be a star. And had him do a demonstration for like some studio executive, and that's how he made above the law, which yeah. is his first movie. But, but let's step back. I okay? mean, it's crazy. He, I mean, like those are the days when that shit happened. He was the Aikido teacher of an agent. Now, why this agent's getting Aikido lessons? I don't know. Maybe he just thought it was the cool thing that year. Because he wanted his uh, yeah. dick inflated too. That right. was the no, time I mean, in the eighties. Everyone wanted to be able to say my dick's inflated. Yeah. I got a I got a puffy dick. I filled it with air. <laughs> you know. And he he goes. I think you're a movie star. He brings him, they do a screen test, not for anything in particular, just to prove that he could work on screen. And then they went, okay, here's your own starring vehicle. Right. He had no acting experience. None. He practiced and a form showed. of fighting that does not really translate cinematically. And they wrote and designed an entire movie around him. And his now, first acting job ever was the lead. was like the a lead hero. In, where they in were a already, hero movie. They were like, trying to sell him as a brand before he'd even shown that he could say a line of dialogue. And the poster is just his face and he's holding a gun and it's like Steven Seagal is above the law. I mean, the movie costs like $7 million. It wasn't like a huge deal or whatever. Yeah, it was pretty small. And it like, it like you know they opened it only on like 300 screens opening weekend right. and it kind of like expanded. Like but they, it did well. But, but it was like, it, it was what's insane about it is, and this is a thing that doesn't happen anymore. It was part of a deliberate, like, brand development thing. Like, they were like, the first Seagal movie's not going to be huge. We have to make a couple movies to get him to sort of get into the public consciousness. So they sold him as if he was already a thing that people knew. Just his head on the poster, just his name above the title. And it was just like, Steven Seagal, who's this guy? So by the time the third movie came out, it was like, 
he was just sort of a given thing. Yeah, and also, like, it was very much that 80s model of what's the poster? Him. Yeah. That's it. Right. What's the title? Just something very vague above the law, like, don't bet, don't do that. <laughs> but it was like- I have a gun. Yeah, <laughs> really, and like- Ovitz apparently literally was like, I bet you I can make anyone a movie star. That, right. And he and he was true. Like he could. Like he he had the formula. I think that was part of the thing was that Andrew he wanted Davis to made prove about how powerful. Powerful. Andrew Davis is a decent director. Did the fugitive, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 It right, was nominated for best director. No, he wasn't. He uh, wasn't, but the film was nominated for best film director. Film was nominated for I don't think they nominated. They knew he was a hack. You know, yeah. He he made under siege. Like he you right. know, Andrew Davis was like And he made he made holes, which is really fucking good. He did. He and he yeah. made Collateral damage, yeah, which, you know, right, yeah, made chain reaction, yeah, right. but you know, he peaked with the fugitive, like yes. he was in the eighties, like yeah. a good action, one of the guys. But I think, I think there are a couple of things going on here. One is definitely like I can make anyone a star, and he wants to prove that. Two is this was like the first time I think Hollywood successfully, and this stopped being a thing in the same kind of way because we get to the point where characters are more valuable than actors. Where by and large now, our like biggest stars are the marriage of a person in a role rather than the person themselves being bigger than the film. Right. You know? Mm -hmm. It's like Bourne's value is tied to Damon and vice versa. Right. You know? Like, I mean, Depp and Pirates of the Caribbean, obviously all the Marvel people, you know, Vin Diesel and, like, Fast and Furious. And you watch these people who are, like, the highest paid actors in Hollywood and are, like, you know, constantly talked about, but when they do their passion projects off to the side, people don't really follow them down the weird corridors in the same way, you know? Um, Which, we, you know, we've been talking a lot about, like, sort of the the modern state of the American movie star. I mean, the Crow films kind of are like interesting prism to look through like the difference between, you know, Tom Cruise, Jerry Maguire, which is like peak movie star. Sure. And then where we are today. But where I it's think it's like Bradley Cooper. Right. But no, no offense to Bradley Cooper, but no one's running to see a movie because Bradley Cooper's in. And the culture's changed. They, yeah. It just doesn't, that doesn't work the same way anymore. He has to structure his career very differently, you know? Like Tom Cruise wouldn't have played Rocket Raccoon in Guardians of the Galaxy. Sure. And I think, Bradley Cooper's great in that movie. Me too. But I think he knew it was like, I need to do like brand deposits yeah. in like certain types yeah. of things that give me the cachet to make American Sniper. I mean, having, and American Sniper's a surprise hit. Ha, I just want to go off. Yeah. Having just seen War Dogs. Yeah. And I saw War Dogs. Yeah. For your sins. Thank everyone you. out there, I saw War Dogs. Thank you. And he's in it. And he produced it. And he produced And it really feels like, and he's in like, you know, he has like, he's like the fourth lead. Like he's yeah. kind of a very small character. He's obviously, and you know, think of the other movies. He's trying to make it like the seventies again. He's like, "Come on, were you the why one who can't tweeted it? that? Yeah, where I tweeted like, that. It's not really working. It's not but working, like, but God I bless him the, for trying. Yeah, because yeah. he's like, why can't I just like pop up in some like weird gun movie and be yeah. like, hey, I'm crazy? And yeah. you're like, oh, it's Bradley. You know, he wants that to be real. He's maybe, why can't I make Limitless on CBS and be in it? He's like, like kind of several one of times. Our most creatively adventurous A-list stars right now. Even though he's not a an adventurous actor, no. and I don't think he's a bad actor. Anyway. No, I think he's a good actor. Let's get off Bradley oh, but, Cooper. But the Seagal thing I want to say is, what's amazing is the way they sold Steven Seagal is, they put him in front of the American audiences and went like, oh, you don't know who Steven Seagal is? <laughs> like, they tried to just- A keto master! They tried to drop him as if we all already knew who he was. I mean, that's how I was introduced right, to him. Right, that's the Someone was like, you okay. don't know who Steven Seagal is? It was like is? Gabbo I, on I wanna... The Simpsons. It was like, you're supposed to know who Steven Seagal is. I want to ask Ben. <laughs> yeah. All right, so Ben, yeah, you like up? Steven Seagal? Hell yeah. So, <laughs> so, so what introduced you to Steven Seagal, would you say? Uh, TV, we were all kids in the nineties. TV you know, movies. Was around. Do you remember yeah. what the first one you watched was? Because he was like a big. You were like, watching like TNT rotation right, movies guy. on AMC or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah it yeah, was yeah. definitely like TNT or USA. Right. And it was my my friend Garrett's older brother Travis was like 
super into karate, and he was like, yeah. you got to watch these movies. Right. Right. right, And I don't remember specifically what it was. They sort of are all mashed together in my mind They're as the same, the same movie. They're all basically It's just the like, same. here's Steven Seagal. He's a normal guy, and he's going to fuck everybody up. Oh, he's not a normal guy. He's the greatest guy who's ever lived. Well, of he's course. He's very zen. The whole idea is that he's like this blue-collar perfect man. Right. <laughs> like, he's both like just one of the people, and he's like capable of anything, and everyone fucking knows who he is and bows down to him, and all women want to inflate his dick. He's got like a little MacGyver. He's got the karate master thing, yeah. the zen thing. Yeah. And he doesn't want to fight. That's the other, well, the, right. the that's thing the about, key of a Steven Seagal. I feel like every Seagal movie, and I feel like this is, this is not a, Specious. This is true. Yeah, like, his character is always unflappable, barely raises his voice. Yeah, he He's has no emotional arc. Has no emotions really at all. No, no. Uh, never is any in any danger. Yeah, you know, other people might be in danger, but you, you kind of like he's not really hurt. He yeah, doesn't like. He's invincible. There's not a lot of physical activity. Like some, you know, he might have to pull himself up or something. But like he, he, he like Schwarzenegger, or whatever. That guy's gonna be like have cuts all over him and like be like throwing like yes something that's fallen on him. He has to throw it out. You know, like there's a lot of strain. And yes, Steven Seagal's not put under strain. Right. And even talking about like someone like Schwarzenegger, who wasn't like a guy who was doing a lot of stunts, but he was doing a lot of physical acting. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah, you can, absolutely. Like, split the difference there. Seagal does no stunts. Seagal is like all wind up. Like I was watching it last night, and I was like, "Oh, Seagal's whole thing is that he's really good at looking like he's about to do something badass." <laughs> you know, he's really good at like looking around the corner with mm -hmm, the gun. Mm -hmm. He's really good at like making you feel the anticipation of it. His eyes are always narrowed. Like, yeah. not. I don't mean like. His eyes are in that shape. He's just always kind of squinting at he's everyone. Squinting. Like, he's I'm... always got kind of a grimace. He's tight lipped. You know. And he's really good at like that, but but he is kind of the perfect encapsulation of the difference between a movie star and an actor, and not that the two things cannot be one in the same. But he is not a good actor. He's an, an oh. awful actor. Like there are some people like Sylvester Stallone or even Van Damme or like who can these be guys good. who you've you people have gotten good performances it's hit and out miss. of them, right? Yeah. Exactly. And, and Schwarzenegger like, for sure. And there's someone like Bradley Cooper who is both, who's a good oh, actor sure. and a good right. movie star. You know, you know? I mean, Bradley Cooper, you know, inside the actor's studio. Right. You know, he was yeah. he was he wanted to be an actor. Yeah. Steven Seagal's not an actor. He's an awful no. actor. Right. But he's a kind of a great movie star. Like you watch he's it, you're a movie like, star. He walks into that train car and, and you're he's got like, that, uh oh. He's got that look. He's got that sweet ponytail. I mean, and he just he's pops. iconic. For someone he's with, iconic. For, he really for is. a guy who is objectively husky. Yes, and has a ponytail. He was never in good shape. And Not he, really ever in great shape. And he was never and like, aligned era, with the cultural standards of coolness. I was in an you know? era when these guys were in ridiculous shape, which is yeah. no longer really required of these movie stars. But like yeah. in the eighties and nineties, like Van Damme, you know, were in like absurd physical shape. But that was the whole thing. Was like Stallone and Schwarzenegger had this arms race where it was like yeah. who can get who can more, be more buff. buff. Yeah, like every film, more. they had more muscles, they had more shirtless scenes, they were more oiled up. You and know, like, Seagal's not like that at all. No, like, he's always in his like very dapper like black suits or he whatever. He dresses like my dead grandma. Like he's like black t-shirt, <laughs> black jacket over it, black slacks. All of it's pretty loose fitting. He's so, got this weird fucking ponytail. Yeah. So so his his career was in '88. He was in Above the Law, which I think is sort of a cop movie. Yeah. Like a rogue cop movie. Pam Greer's in it. Interesting. And then in 90, he's in Hard to Kill. I mean, the, all the titles were three right. let, Three words. And that's Kelly LeBrock? Uh, that's with Kelly LeBrock, who I believe he either married or had a long affair with. He married. That was his third wife. I went onto his Wikipedia page. I don't know the full backstory of this, but two of his marriages listed on Wikipedia overlap with yeah, each other. Yeah, he, Not relationships, but it says, like, married to the first one from... 19 like whatever to 1986 and then it says married from the second one from 1984 to 1995 so, <laughs> like it's something like that which is like steven 
Steven. <laughs> Hard to Kill. Yeah. <laughs> Hard to Kill 90. In that one, he plays a cop. Right. But in that one, it's the cop woke up from a coma and, like, he has to avenge okay. whatever put him in a coma. Yeah. Then in also in 90, he's in Marked for Death. Uh-huh. In which he plays a DEA agent. Okay. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, uh, who is avenging the death of his partner, Chico. Okay. And then in 91, he's in Out for Justice. Hell yeah. <laughs> you like that one? I do. In that one, he plays a cop who is out for justice. Right, 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 right. I remember this now, yeah. <laughs> and then in 92, and I feel like this is, all those movies do pretty well, but like yeah. it's sort of a slight. In 92, he's in Under Siege. And it, it's in, Which cute. is like a, a big hit, does really well. It's directed by Andrew Davis. Uh Tommy Lee Jones and Gary Busey are in it. It's like nominated for Oscars, like sound Oscars, but right. still, that's a sign that it was like noticed in the industry that it wasn't just some cheap trash that came out in March or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and so, like, now it's like, and in that he plays a, a former Navy SEAL mm. who is now a chef right. on a boat. Regular guy. And then some <laughs> shit happens on the boat. He fucks people up. And I. I haven't seen Under Siege in a million years, if I've seen it at all. I have never seen it. I've He's, never seen it. You've, <laughs> <laughs> you've never seen it? No. Okay. Because I was, was going to ask you if an Under Siege, because in Under Siege 2, his name is Casey Ryback, the yeah. character. Yeah. When in some fucking secret military installation, when it's announced that Casey Ryback is on the train, right. everyone is like, wait, what? Casey Ryback? Yeah. Like, only the most deadly Navy SEAL to ever... So I'm wondering... Casey is Ryback, he... the guy from Under Siege? Well, I was like, the characters are almost responsible. Are they like, cook? oh, you mean the chef from the boat? Or are they... Are, like, is he so famous that he was famous before he had Under Siege happen? Well, I mean, this I think this plays into the Seagal thing in that he's all about the wind-up. That as an actor, it's about the anticipation of him looking like he's going to do something badass. And the films, because he himself is not that capable of being badass, right. the movies have to constantly have everyone explain how badass he is. So you, like, are able to load that onto him. So the idea that I think, like, he just has... Because I was talking I was talking to uh, my my buddy Hawken last night, who had seen, has seen both Under Sieges, right? Sure. And he didn't remember that well, but he said, like... And he was like, oh, I always like the Under Siege movies because he's a chef. Like, I always like that thing. And I was like, so is the idea that, like, Under Siege 1, because they say this- He's just cooking on the boat. Right, he's cooking on the boat. He's retired. Right. That's the thing. It's a a shittier version of the John McClane thing. Yeah. Where it's like- Much shittier. Right. John McClane was an average guy who's put into extraordinary circumstances and has to step up to the plate. But, like, we buy, like, John McClane can use a gun because, and, right. like, you know, because he's a cop or whatever. But it's like he's know. wrong place, wrong time, but yeah. he's not, like, the greatest cop in the world. No, he's I mean, not even necessarily a great cop. Obviously, after Die Hard, it gets a, it gets a little ridiculous. Well, yeah, yes. But in Die Hard, yeah. John McClane basically knows how to use a gun. And that if you tape a bunch of explosives to a chair and throw it down an elevator shaft, they'll right. probably blow up. Like, I, it's not, yes. like, complicated what he does. And I even think by the time you get to, um, even I think Die Hard with a Vengeance is where it starts to break a little bit. But on that movie, they still are like, let's bring in John McClane. He has experience with this. Not let's bring in John McClane. He's a famous badass. Right. They were like, he's done similar cases to this. We might want to bring him in. This movie is, like, I, I think the idea is that, like, he was a Navy SEAL. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to do it anymore. He chose right. food, and then every time they force him to fucking get back in and prove that he's the most powerful person in the world. Mm-hmm. He's the only man for the job. Right. Now, And he just happens to be in the right place, right time for the conflict to ensue and, here's and the thing. for him to react yes. and deal with it. And he doesn't want to get into the conflict, but there also is no refusal of the call in this movie. 
Like the second shit goes down, he's like, okay, I guess I gotta do it. Like there's no inner battle <laughs> well, of like, I told he, myself I'd get away from this life. It's his young niece. He's got to make sure that she's protected. Well, so we'll get to Under Siege 2 in a second, but just his final piece of setup. Yeah. So I feel like after Under Siege, Seagal is, he's pretty big. Huge. Under Siege 2, uh, Under Siege but, 1 adjusted for inflation would make $200 million today, shit. which would be humongous. Wow. So then he's popping, so he makes On Deadly Ground. Which he directs and is a passion project. A passion project about like environmental issues in yes. the upper, in the Northwest, you know. Does he play someone of Native American heritage? I, be- in that I believe movie? he plays, it's like, even, if he's not playing an Alaskan Native, it's certainly about the yes, plight yes. of Alaskan Natives. I think he's playing Alaskan Native. And like yeah. oil, you know, drillers, and like Michael Caine and Billy Bob Thornton is in, are in it. Like, you know, it's like. And it's a flop because it's yeah. stupid. I think a lot of the clips you see of Seagal being a weird asshole come from that movie, like yeah. where he like gives speeches and stuff about like you know I don't know. It's dumb. Nobody likes it. And it's it it. So he's on of, his back heel. And the American public sort of says like we don't care what you have to say. We don't like you because we think you have interesting thoughts. Just be Steven Seagal. Right. So, but exactly. So right. He's on his back heel. So it's like oh okay. Under Siege 2, right? Why yeah. not make Under Siege 2? So he makes Under Siege 2. Under Siege 2 is before Undeadly Ground. No, it's after. Oh, really? Yeah. Und- Undeadly Ground is 94. That's what I'm saying. Oh, wow. Under Siege 2 is 95. Okay. Now, so I don't know, you know, obviously it's close enough in release dates. I'm yeah. not sure if this is a total response. He's obviously right. like, all right, I, I made the passion but this project. Was safe. Yeah, yeah, but this is this is the opposite of that. It it's does well, but it does like half as well as the first one. There's like a big oh, this one, yeah, this one well. does okay. It yeah. makes fifty million. Right, which story. would be a hundred million today. Yeah. Um so under siege two. And uh, he picks Jeff Murphy. Mm-hmm. Dark territory. Uh, dark territory, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jeff Murphy, uh I mean, I'll talk about him later because I don't want to okay. get too deep into him now, but he's a great director. And I think he does a decent job. So, so Under Siege 2. Ben, would you like to take us through a tour of the plot of this film? I would love to. So we start fucking strong as hell <laughs> with a rocket ship, right? Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. And you're like, space? What? Yeah. Okay, they, cool. I thought this movie took place on a train. Right. That was yeah. the whole ad campaign. All right, well, we're, we're going to be dealing with space, and we're, we're going to be dealing with a lot of space. Yeah. Okay? So then you go to a control room, right? And so it basically sets up that there's they're launching this satellite. And this satellite is a weapons defense system, essentially, right? And we also meet uh, Eric's dad, and he's, like, kind of leading the way. Uh, you know, Eric Foreman's dad. Um, <laughs> Kurtwood Smith. Sure. <laughs> also known as Clarence Bodiger. Also known as Ray. <gasps> um, and then there's also an introduction of a lot of sexism, and that's going to be a through line throughout this movie. Sure. sure. Now, we just we got to acknowledge it. It's... It's of the time. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, um, I, I, I didn't blink an eye, put it that way. I didn't either, no. but it's definitely kind of like, wow, we've at least made some progress. I don't know. But that, yeah, it's I don't more know. subliminal now. Right, right. And here's the thing. I kind of find that more insidious. Oh, yeah. Like, I was watching this, and I was like, because we get boobs like 90 seconds into this movie, right? You oh, have yeah. a space shuttle, then they cut to mission control. They're setting up the satellite. And they're like, let's give it a test. Let's see if we can spy on anybody. And the first thing they see is a woman sunbathing. And they're like, zoom in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's <laughs> test to see if it works. Right, right. Can you no. can you clear up the image? And then they're just looking at tits. And the one guy's like, oh, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but I was like, at least this movie's just candidly going like, we're gross. We're just looking at tits. 90 seconds was I would uh, surprise. I, it was fast. <laughs> no, I yeah. was like, how would they even? Really like, fast. Yeah, I mean. And it's also not just like you're looking at tits, but it's like the film is setting up that the government is spying on women so they can look at their tits and like oogle them. 
But I'm going to keep on relating this film to Suicide Squad just because it's like in my recent memory, you know? I and don't even remember Suicide Squad. It's, I remember it's it too gone. much. It haunts me in my dreams. But I w- like my thought while watching this movie over and over again was like, they don't make bad movies like this anymore. Like, I miss this kind of bad. And like, I kind of find Suicide Squad more insidious because they're trying to simultaneously like argue that Harley is this like empowered feminist character yeah. when she's oh, not sure. at all. And the film like oogles her so much and there's so many shots of her ass yep. where it's like both are shitty. I would like female characters to have agency in movies, mm-hmm. you know, and have like a diversity of portrayals of, of women and different roles. But I also feel like I kind of prefer the one where you're just like, we're just showing you tits. Rather than being like, Harley Quinn is like a role model. It's like, lean into it or don't. Yeah. I just, I'd rather you stand up and go like, hey, I'm a piece of shit. Than tell me like, no, I'm a good guy. Yeah. And then be a piece of shit. Right. I kind of want honesty in my filmmaking. I know what you mean. Even I if mean, it's honesty about being bad. It's an era also when things are just sectioned off where they're like, yeah. oh, this movie's not for women to watch. Would a woman <laughs> want to watch this? Like, they'd be genuinely surprised. Like, yeah. huh? Yeah. I mean, which is gross in its own way, but, you know, I mean, it's when Hollywood pandered so exclusively where they're like, oh, no, don't worry, we'll have one for you guys. Like, wait a second, let's go get, you know, like some rom-com for you, okay? You don't need to make four quadrant films. I mean, that was the thing. Rom-coms were so big, and also, gross, you know, you, you had these sort of programmer action movies that were really big, and it was like, that's the sectioning off. And then you have a couple movies a year that, like, connect and are yeah. four quadrant, like, sort of cross, you know, broad appeal movies. Right. I mean, we're going to get to the box office game, and... I feel like it's it's very clear in the films yeah, that are oh, out. The divide. But I just thought let's address it there because it's yes. so oh, early yeah, it's on, pervasive. and we I can mean, just move on because no, yeah, it, it's throughout the movie. It's gross. Only the other times it happens. But yeah, but this movie uh, sees no value in women other than their <laughs> tits. Yep. Yeah, a lot of tits in this. Um, or as like innocence to be defended. In innocence, right? But know. it's like all those scenes are about people like. Even the scenes between her and Seagal, it's all like everyone trying to fuck her. Yeah, no, no, for sure. I mean, yeah, yeah. no, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, and they, they're trying to cut it both ways where it's like, well, it's like you have to put her in danger of being like sexually ruined, quote unquote, so that Seagal has something to like defend. But also, the film is like, hey, don't you want to watch a bunch of guys skis on her? Yeah, that's true. Um, so, so, anyway, moving right well, along. Well, they launched the satellite. They launched the satellite. It's a success. Okay. We go then to meeting Steven Seagal. Yeah, L.A. Union Station. Right? And he is showing up at his restaurant because yeah, his- Yeah, we see him at the restaurant first. We, the head cook- I Forgot about that. Is basically establishing, A, he's cool as fuck. Yeah. Okay? Also, he's setting up that his parents recently died in a plane crash. Uh-huh. I'm not sure if that's in Under Siege, the original. I don't think so. None of us know. It's really weird, but yeah. he, they mentioned that. That's why he's taking a train, guys, okay? Right. Because you wouldn't normally travel to L.A. on a train from where are they, in Colorado, I believe? No, they're going to Colorado. Oh, okay. From L.A., yes. Okay. No, but, yeah. It Either is... way, they're setting up why they need to get on a train, which yeah. I, I don't need, but I know, okay. but it, it is funny because it, I'm like, L.A. to Denver, you're yeah. going to take like a 12-hour train or however long this fucking train must be? Like. I also love that the guy at the restaurant is like, man, why do you come around anymore? And he's like, you know, I'm just not in a great space right now. And he's like, yeah, but man, the only reason, he's like, the restaurant's still doing well, right? People like it. And he's like, the only reason people like this restaurant is because of you. Right. Like, he's the most important person in everyone's yeah, life. life. Right. Right. Like, like, the restaurant has no value if he's not there. Right. Yeah. 
He also they also set up in this short little scene that he's meeting with his niece yes. who he hasn't seen in many years. His niece, who is played by Katherine Heigl. Yeah. Uh, a youngish Katherine Heigl. What is she probably fourteen or something? Yeah. You know, I'm somewhere she's much older than that. Yeah. Early teens, yeah. probably. Um, who's playing Sarah Ryback, his niece, whose father was also a Navy hero and won the Navy Cross. Although the film later makes clear that Steven Seagal says character won two Navy crosses. <laughs> he was more Just of a hero. in case you thought, yeah, yeah. Her, her dead dad was more of a hero than Steven Seagal. And um, their relationship makes no sense because he shows up. He's like, God, oh, go see my niece. Yeah. And he goes to see her, and immediately she's like, ugh, fuck you. Yeah. Like, where are you? Why didn't you see me? My brother. She's got a lot of toot. Right. And it's she's like, got a rude toot. It feels like, okay, now he like left her at some point. Like he he's abandoned her in some right. kind of way as an uncle. Yeah, and she feels wronged. She, how mad can she be? He, he is just her uncle. Right. She could have swung by the Mile High Cafe. <laughs> just saying. But they also never like explain like the scene. Which Got is, in a like, Denver omelet. Right. Yeah. Yes, he could have. Could have yes, messed her up a could. Denver omelet. Sure. Yes, she can. And she would have loved it because everyone loves his cooking. Steven Seagal. That's yeah. right. But only Casey when he's right there back. in the restaurant. Right. Because if you eat the omelet and he's not there, it doesn't taste it tastes the like same. Dust. Mm. It tastes like dust. Mm. He's the secret sauce. But I also think like in in a <laughs> in a more dramatically functional version of this movie, and I actually think this film is. Decently scripted, you know, for what it's doing. I think it's, like, pretty tight in terms of setup payoff. It, it, it's pretty tight in terms of, yeah, uh, keeping the narrative focus. I and being say, very cliched, very by the book. It's but incredibly it, like, cliched. I wouldn't say it's, it's well functional. written. I'd say the, it's very functional. It's very, the lines, unfortunately, don't pop at all, which is kind no. of what I want from one of these movies a little more. Well, is I think I just the want, line like, that Ben quoted was great. The line that Ben quoted is funny because, especially because they repeat it, and you're yeah. like, okay. Like, <laughs> but um, I wish there was a little more of that. You like... You know, you like a little crazy. Yeah. Assumption's the mother of all fuck up. Yeah. But, um, well, also, but Steven Seagal can't deliver one-liners, no. so you have to give the lines to no, everyone else. But the But the other thing is, like, he's so clearly obsessed with being completely infallible in every way. Yes. That, like, you have to imagine the first draft of the script, there was a way that he really betrayed, abandoned, or sure. disappointed his niece, so that there's, like, a moment that he has to, like, you know, sort of repent for. And this film doesn't have that because they don't want to have him have done anything wrong in his life. So it's just like she's angry at him. And then the second they get on the train, she won't stop talking to everyone else about her uncle was the most important figure in her life. So there's like no moment where he fucked her over. No. But she's like, I still wear the necklace that he gave me. He taught me how to do do fucking judo. I think really the main conflict is more so that... Her father has recently passed. And he wasn't there. And he wasn't he around, wasn't and they sort of had a falling out. Right. Sure. But it's never explained because they don't want him to there, have any no. responsibility yeah. for the The one weird out. thing yeah. he does is he they sit down on the train, and he's like, I know you got the teddy bear, so I got you a teddy bear. And he takes a, a very generic-looking teddy bear out of a backpack. Right. And she's just like... Obviously, she's like, like she's just you have to say, like, what are you doing? I'm a teenager. I don't he like immediately says it. He's like, I don't know if you're too old for teddy bears. Now. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and he doesn't even look at her. He's like looking straight ahead as he yeah. hands her this mirror. It's odd. Well, and here's here's like the thing of like Steven Seagal being a great movie star and a terrible actor. He doesn't have a single moment that registers as like recognizable human behavior. No, right? yeah, not it doesn't. Yes, that's accurate. But like the guy is so aware of how he plays on camera and his angles that he's like, I'm gonna look ahead and not make eye contact with the other actors in the scene because I look best. 
head on. You know, like yeah, he, he does. Knows, he like, does. <laughs> you know, if I turn, you're gonna see my double shit. Like I gotta do this head uh, on. We I should we should say the script written by Richard Hatem and? and Matt Reeves. Yes, who's one of my favorite Matt Reeves, genre directors. Now a fun director who made, did the last Planet of the Apes movie in Cloverfield. Oh wow! Did and, let me uh, in. let me in. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so and he's do I believe he's doing the next Planet of the Apes. He's yes. doing War, which for... I'm pumped for. Me too. Yeah. Uh, he wrote the. He's had an odd career, Matt Reeves. Well, he, he wrote and directed the Paul Bearer. Uh, he wrote and directed the Paul Bearer. He uh wrote co-wrote the Yards with James Gray, which right. is and, and he created Felicity, Felicity. Yeah. yeah, with J.J. Abrams, which is yeah, it's an odd career. Anyway, he wrote this. This was his first movie. Under Siege Two, Under Cola. Siege yeah. Two, Dark Territory. Yes. All right. So now let's let's move right along. Yes. They 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 get on the train. They do. They waste no time. A they're on the train. A, a train bound for Denver. I would say they're on the train by minute five of this movie. Yeah, but yeah, it's great. It's yeah. they, they fucking. I mean, nice it's train. not that it's like they. There's much setup or like that. Right. They're, they're they accomplish what they need to for this movie very quickly, right? Yeah. And now you're on the fucking train. You got and um, it's a nice train, double decker train. You got very that, fancy looking train, yeah. right? The yeah. actor uh, who I love from Boys in the Hood, Morris uh, Chestnut, Morris Chestnut uh, as a porter. Yeah, and he's kind of hitting on Catherine Heigl, right? And you are kind of like, like, what the fuck, dude? Like, you're you're young, but you're not this young. Like, this is a little much. You're like, you I mean, know, it seems like he's cute. like nineteen and she's yeah. like fourteen, if if that, right? <laughs> yeah, and he's maybe twenty three and she's thirteen. But yes, yeah, right. But no, but no, he's just being cute. He's like, let me take your bag, please. I need to take someone's bag. Like, I gotta work, you know. Like, I gotta do something while I'm letting so people. So you in. have that interaction play out. Then you cut to a couple fucking in a cabin. Right, you do. <laughs> Very yes, early you do. on, immediately. <laughs> and the scene, who are they? You're trying to recognize, and then you're like, of like three scenes later, you're like, oh, he was one of the guys at the satellite launch. Yeah, yeah and, and but she, they don't draw the line very clearly. She, but not wasn't at all. she there too? I think she was there. Maybe she was there. I think too. they're both there. They're both involved with oh, the satellite. Yes, yeah. That's why I believe they're on the train. Like why the terrorists hijacked the train? Oh, hundred percent. Yes, but also because of dark territory. It's both. Yeah. They know that they'll be able to go into dark territory because right. there'll be a point where Everyone knows what dark territory is, right? Great. We don't have to explain that, right? The movie doesn't. Uh, it doesn't explain it. It does use the phrase dark territory maybe 15 Quite times. Quite a lot. Yeah. Yes. Where they're like, oh, are we in dark territory? Yeah. Anyway, apparently that's when the train is not in communication with train operators on the right. ground. It's like yeah. on like sort of disused old railroads and there's no signals. I yeah. don't know. It doesn't matter. No, it's, it it's just matter. a good name. They a obviously name. found it in an encyclopedia, and they were like, yeah. "Great, yeah." What's a cool thing that a train does? And they're like, "Well, it goes into dark territory sometimes." Like, perfect. I love it. But they're they're on the train. They like, uh, you know, immediately start. Fucking. They just yeah. Right. Has right. the train even left the station when they start going? No, because usually that's like the thing. Like you know, that's fucking how North by Northwest ends. Is like, oh, yeah. Cary Grant, Eve Marie, Saint Kiss, and then they cut to the train going in the tunnel. That's yes. always been like a classic of filmmaking. You know, in an earlier sort of like a code era of Hollywood filmmaking where you couldn't show sex, it was like you have two characters kiss on a train and then you cut to the train going through the tunnel and it's like the audience can put it together. Eisenstein, montage. Yeah, sure, It all sure. makes sense, you know? Good, but this good movie, reference to Eisenstein. Thank you. Which Under Siege 2 is very intended to Very intended Eisenstein, Eisenstein. Yes, yeah. This movie has them fucking before the train starts moving. <laughs> like, they get on the train, lock the door, start fucking, and then lock they're the like, gates? oh, they lock the gates. Oh, they lock those gates. Yeah. Uh, were you as thrown off as I was by like the amount of people using the term Loctigate? Loctigate or whatever. For Ryan Loctigate. Yeah. Like this Very. whole thing with him lying. People were calling it Ryan like Loctigate. And it just sounds like, well, now you're just doing like a bad, like a racist impression of a Caribbean man. <laughs> 
doing Mark Marin. Lock the gate. That's that's what I thought. That's what I thought. Oh. Uh, hold on. Let me just take a sip of this tea quickly. A pow! I just pissed my underwear. No. This is the blank check blend. This is a decaf tea. Looking at at looking at the roots, there is no. LA to Denver train. Just oh, FYI. really? No. That's weird. It's a San it Francisco like... to Denver train. David, have you heard of Dark Territory? Though? Yeah. <laughs> that is surprising me because it feels like the rest of this movie checks out. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So can we talk about what this satellite does? Yeah. This U.S. military approved satellite right. makes earthquakes. Yes. You point it at a place. Yeah. Be it a person, yeah. an airplane. Pair of titties. Uh, uh, pair of titties. <laughs> California. Yeah. And it'll make Dark an territory. earthquake. <laughs> and like, it, it like at some points it makes earthquakes that literally explode one little fighter jet. Yeah. And but then we're also told it could make an earthquake that would eliminate California right. from the map. Right. We're shown a map with California, and then they're like, then they do this, and then the map is there's no more California, like it's just ocean. Yeah. And by the way, we should point out. <laughs> Dope ass fucking technology. Huh? I was gonna say, I mean, gonna, this is this is a huge Ben. There's also one plot point. A huge thing graphics. with a pager, Ben. Yeah. No. Oh, we're gonna and talk about an Apple about Newton. <laughs> oh my god, I <laughs> is know. Is a plot point in the it's movie so is an cool. Apple Newton, oh the original tablet. Yes. Yes. Um. No, but it's like the opening scene. They just launch the satellite. They prove that they can see a pair of titties, and they're like, "Great work, everybody! Go home. You two have fun fucking on that train." <laughs> and it's like, wait a second, who approved an earthquake machine in the sky? What is this? And are they putting it up there for any reason? What is purpose? it just a failsafe yeah. plan? <laughs> but like, the the other thing, I mean, getting a little heavy stuff. But when they activate the satellite. Like the satellite, like has like five tendrils come out that turn into like claws that make it look like a fucking sentinel from the Matrix, which don't seem to serve any purpose other than to make it look scary. Yeah, it looks cool in space, which no one's gonna see. Yeah, I mean, it could be a fucking black box. Who cares? Like, right. I mean, you know, it doesn't right. matter. It could be anything. It's also called the Grazer, which I feel like has to be some sort of backhanded. Grazer one to to Brian Grazer. You I think, think it had to be. He was just such a power player Grazer? at the time. Wow. I wouldn't be surprised if like. Like, you know, Steven Seagal had a bad interaction with Brian Grazer at a party and was like, we're going to call the evil machine Grazer. <laughs> it feels like something he would do. I, it feels <laughs> like this movie was made by a very petty oh man. Boy, I don't oh think boy. that's coincidental. That the, it shares the name of one of Hollywood's biggest producers at the time. Grazer won. Yeah. So, Ben, we're on the train. Right. All right. People so are boning. Fucking. Seagal's now listen, teddy so bear to Seagal Heigl. hasn't seen his niece in a while, right? Yeah. So they, and they've gotten their seat. He's got to go make her a cake. Right, so he just breaks off. She's giving him so much tood, by the way. That, that's true, but he's gonna go make her a cake because yeah. he's a cook and he wants to showcase his skills. I about this. So yeah. he sets up. He in, goes to like the kitchen car. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And the real reason is because they need to get him away from everyone else yes. right. when the Correct. terrorists show up. Yeah. Now, I which mean, they do right away. Right. Yeah. And it's just like you see the nefarious guy outside of the train. You know he's the bad guy. Right. And he's talking on a walkie-talkie. Helicopters fly in. There's some people planted on the train, yep. and they they take the train over. Yeah, and it happens really quickly, right? And it's yeah. pretty like it's. I mean, it's a train. They're mercenaries. <laughs> it's not hard. Yeah, like, no, yeah. it's telling their mercenaries. Yeah. They have like a, a you know, they, they're they're trained uh, private contractors for this, right? Mm. And then we intr are introduced to the mad 
crazy scientist bad guy. Dane. Travis Dane. Yes. And they say in the earlier the satellite launch scene, I think with the couple who are fucking later on the train say something like, oh, it's too bad Dane couldn't be here to see this. Like, does anyone, right. you know, like they, he's talked about briefly in hushed tones. Sure, sure. Right. As like, he was kind of the main architect of this and he's not around anymore. Yeah. So we learn that Dane is Played out for by a, Eric Bogosian. And he's great. He's a real good bad guy. Famed uh, hot wire monologist <laughs> yep, and true. playwright Eric Bogosian. The first one, Tommy Lee Jones. This time they got Eric Bogosian. I agree that he's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, it's like, again, in these kinds of movies, the villain is either like a wiry little guy with like a a, a, like button down shirt and a tie yeah. who's crazy yeah. or is like a big buff dude who's well, like a monster okay but this was or this sometimes they age. split the difference yes. and they do both that's yeah. that's i think when it works best and right. like die hard does die that hard does where they the have like carl all, and gruber right. but also uh lethal, lethal weapon, weapon does that as well like yes. that's it kind of works because you have one guy who's like a physical equal i mean under siege one i assume uh, we haven't seen it but You've got Tommy Lee Jones and Gary Busey. One assumes Tommy Probably Lee Jones is playing dynamic. one role, Busey's yeah. playing the other. Yeah. But but I was I mean talking about they don't make bad movies like this anymore. Like you know, uh, we, we end up inevitably talking about the Marvel movies a lot right now because they sort of dominate the conversation. Everyone's trying to follow in their footsteps. But like I, I'd say one of the biggest problems with the Marvel movies recently is that like like what's the biggest issue with Guardians of the Galaxy? It's that, like, yeah. Ronan is, like, you know, indistinguishable from, like, Curse and Malketh from Thor the Dark People World. People are and, tough like, on Ronan, yeah, yeah. I don't think he's yeah. bad, but I it's just, Ronan, like, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he's fine. No, no, but I agree. It, but it is kind of, like, you have that the That movie brute... has four villains and none of them really pop. And it's, like, you want to let one guy do the acting, yeah. right? And, like, have all the fun scenery chewing. And you want to let one person be the, like, physically... The brute, yes. Right. And I think you get to, like, have your cake and eat it, too, if you do both. And this movie does that really well, where it's like Bogosian can't hold his own in a fight. No, we're we're never gonna buy the Bogosian's gonna take on Seagal right. in an Aikido battle. Like, right. I mean, that's not gonna happen. Right. Which even like you know, I think he, that's, he can monologue. You Quantum know? of Solace does yeah. that, where you have like Matthew Almerique, who's like a great fucking actor, sure. who's like the mastermind. At the end of the film, it comes down to a fist fight between him and Daniel Craig, and it's like, well, this fight ends in two seconds. Right. right. Like Matthew Almerique cannot hold his own. Yeah, Almerique's an odd. It's an I odd performance. love him. I love him as an actor. I was actor. so excited when they cast Me him, too, and he yeah. doesn't really register. He really in that has movie. one scene. Like yeah. I remember, he has one scene when he freaks out, and that's it. But then he's got a big fight scene at the end, well, and it's yeah, like this fight would not dumb. go on this that long. Scene is dumb. So dumb. Yeah. So all right, we meet Bogosian, right? Yeah. Bad guy. He makes like some speech, you know, basically like letting all of the passengers know. They're, they he's taken over the train. They're all forced to the back half of the train. They're entering dark territory. Right. They are entering dark territory. They are indeed oh. entering the territory that is dark. Among the uh, hijackers, you got Peter Green, mm-hmm. who was like a bad guy in like every movie yeah. in the early night. He's yeah. in The Mask. Yes. What else is yes. he in? He's in The Usual Suspects for a second. He's yeah. Redfoot. I don't know. He's he was so, a big '90s heavy. I looked yeah. him up. He doesn't even have his. He's credited as mercenary one. He's in a lot of scenes. You oh, would yeah. know who I was talking. Yeah, about. no, yeah, I know yeah. you're talking about. And then uh, uh, we got oh, Jonathan, Jonathan Banks, Banks is one of the guys who stops the from train Breaking from Breaking Bad, Bad, formerly of Wise Guy. Mike uh, Ermintrout yeah, is one of the guys who stops the train. But, yeah. Looks basically the same, minus some wrinkles. I mean, he's like a yeah. bald guy with a white goatee. It's, it's basically the same guy. Yeah. Um, and Everett McGill, mm-hmm. who plays like the main. Buff henchman, yeah, right, yeah, the, the guy with the white hair, yeah. yeah, yeah, great henchman, great henchman in this movie. Yeah, I mean they're they're pros, and their job is just like surround Dane, let him work the pooter, right, 
And he, I don't know, he has that dumb monologue about CDs, but I love it. Because, come on, CDs, remember, guys? Hot. CD-ROM. Is yeah. it the one where he's trying, like, winding up the tension of whether the CD has porn or, like, the ability to launch a missile on it? Yeah, yeah it that's a great speech. Yeah. <laughs> so it turns out the couple who are fucking... Okay, right. We should say when they... Uh, the train is hijacked. Yeah. The guy goes, what was that? And she's like, it's called an orgasm. Yeah. Which, which is, uh, is ludicrous. But that... The idea that he brought her an orgasm, I mean. Is not, insane. Not, not the... That, uh, that man <laughs> does not look attentive to a woman's ears. <laughs> no. That guy does not know how to listen to a body. I'll say that, you know? But uh, but also, it's a ludicrous line of dialogue. But Yeah, it's also insane that that um, dialogue And then, like, exchange... a guy bursts in with a gun. Yeah, but here's the crazier thing. And, the, you know, this is just true that, like, that two-line dialogue exchange won a Pulitzer that year. It's crazy. Like, it that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was the time. That was, that like, was, Mike that Ovitz, was Steven Seagal. Yeah. <laughs> like, that was the 90s. And so you guys are right, to get back to the plot, that they do take these, these two agents, so right? The, the, yeah. the, the but I do want to just... Guys, yeah point out one little thing and is that they've established that Seagal was in the kitchen. Yeah. One of the mercenary mercenaries goes in there and just the cooks start fighting him. They yeah. do. And they're that's kind of cool because they're all tough cooks. I was going to say, I think Seagal respects a cook. Doesn't Nicolas Cage want to play a cook? Didn't you have some I interviewed Nicolas with Cage yeah. with my friend Eric Simon, and we asked him. This is one of the highlights of my entire yeah. life. Yeah. Okay, we I mean, did this a, is a good story. We did a phone interview with him. And they said only one person could be on the phone speaking to him. So we wrote out the questions, and I would hold up cue cards telling Derek what to say next. Right. Because if they said if there are two voices, Nick is going to get confused. <laughs> sure, sure. So we <laughs> talked to him at like 7 o'clock in the morning when he was promoting Ghost Rider 2 Spirit of Vengeance. Not a bad movie. And, Not a good one. Yeah, and I, we worked really hard because we're big, big fans yeah, yeah, yeah. to ask him questions we felt Unusual like he wasn't being questions. asked, right, yeah. but also not just be like dumb, me, me, whatever. Yeah, we yeah, did yeah. one like ridiculous It question. doesn't matter. What was okay. his question? So this question was, uh, you said when you were promoting The Sorcerer's Apprentice, mm -hmm. when someone asked you what drew you to the project, you said, well, I got the script and I went, oh, wow, I've never played a wizard before. Right. He's always wanted to be a sorcerer. Which is a thought that no actors had. It's no. like, that's weird. I haven't played a wizard yet. Maybe in my Sam Jackson. Like, maybe someone else who does so much Who's quantity. Who's played literally everything. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But it's like, you know, if you're an actor of a certain stature, you go, like, oh, that's interesting. I haven't played a mother before. Sign right? me up. <laughs> I haven't played a cop before. You know, certain things that are just like archetypes. But there are very few wizard movies. It's like, true. Well, oh, that he is true. He wanted weird. to play a wizard. And he was like, I signed on because I never played a wizard before. So we quoted that back to him for context, right? Right, right, right? And we're like, is there any other profession like that? Yeah. That would cause you to sign on just, just to play that role regardless of what the project was. And we were so ready for his, him to couch his answer and like, well, you know, it's always about the material and who right, you're working right, with right. and like this and that. But, you know, and he just we said, is there any other job where if that was the title, if the character held that job, you would do the film immediately. And he without a pause went, uh, chef, submarine, captain, astronaut. <laughs> Now, which I believe he still never checked those boxes. He just did Submarine Captain. He did a film about the USS Indianapolis, which is the... Oh, Jesus. Uh, it's it's what the fucking um, uh, Jaws is based off, Quint's based off, of, where they capsized and all, all got eaten by sharks. Mario Van Peebles directed a movie. I don't think it's come out yet. That sounds amazing. Called, I think, USS Indianapolis. That's him and Thomas Jane, I want to say. Give us a better, like, shark submarine attack. Come yeah. on. Don't call it USS Indianapolis. Yeah. That sounds great. Okay, so he's checked one of the boxes. He's checked one of the he's boxes. He's not been a chef yet. And he certainly hasn't been in space yet. Like, I would watch Burnt with yes. Nicolas Cage. Yeah. I don't know if I want to watch it with Bradley Cooper. No. But I, with Cage? Yeah. Burnt? Yes. I would also watch Cage do almost anything. Well, sure. Yeah. Um. Anyway, back to the cook's Tough fight. cook. 
tough cooks. They all get shot, but it's established Steven is now, he's like the rogue man who's, you know, hasn't been like uh, found yet. And he's going to basically, sure. throughout the movie, it's a right? diehard situation. Right. He's yeah. going to take care of business, right? Die he's going to get rid of the mercenaries yeah. Yeah. and save Right. This his was that niece. period where it was everyone the would pitch, pitch was just die hard, die hard on a block. On a block. Yeah, yeah. It was right. guy who shouldn't be there that day. Right. But he, but watch out. Steps yeah. up to the plate in a, in a contained space. And so then the two agents are captured. Uh, they're some, tortured with like a eye. Yeah, some, there's some dumb thing about poke them in the eye, explode their eyeballs. Not, yeah. Not, oh, oh, yeah. Well, not to move backwards. I just want to quickly ask because then I want to talk about the fucking eyeball thing. But do you think this movie is implying that all chefs and cooks are former Navy SEALs who gave up the life to just focus on something simple? Sorta. Because the <laughs> the fighting skills come in so quickly, and that one guy's fucking poorly. Yeah, no, yeah. he's he's a big guy. So the eyeball thing—they're threatening the woman from from the fuck couple, mm-hmm. and he's got this like laser needle that's like they're heating up, and he's like the it's, the, it's the so lens much. of your eye right. is going to like it's going to go right through the and lens, burn and then it's going to boil then, yeah. your cornea, and you're just like. Just say you want to poke him in the eye. Like, is right. this hard? Like, they're not going to want a poke in the eye by a sharp object. You could do the same thing with a knife. Yeah, right. just anything. A finger. But it's like a crazy device. And he's just trying to get them to give him, like, the launch codes, essentially. Right? Yeah. It's like the two of them have the launch codes, each have one half of it. Yeah. And they're, like, also then getting all complicated because they're, like, trying to explain how with the codes you still need other things. Right. And it just gets all muddled and stupid. But you're yeah. just basically like, oh, they're going to give the codes away. And they do. Yeah. And then they throw him off a train. Yeah. Yeah, off he goes. Brutally. Yeah, it's it's brutal. Yeah. Um, And so after that, it's just Steven fucking climbing around on top of trains, under trains. It's pared down. Yes. I mean, that's it. That's it. It's just him fucking up dudes. Bad guys are in a car. They have the earthquake machine. Right. Steven's on the train. Yeah. He's got to get him. And I remember I, like, looked at my, like, at the time left, and I was like, huh. Like, how much, how can they pad this, yeah. really? Like, he's just got to walk, like, three cars over. So here are a couple things. I mean, going back to this, they don't make bad movies like this anymore, and comparing, comparing it to Suicide Squad, right? Yeah. This movie, on a scene-to-scene level, so often I'm like, I have no idea what the fuck is happening in the scene. I don't know what they're talking about. No. Yeah. But the movie is so simple where it's like, even that first chunk where you're like, why is he using this device? Why is it all this? It's like, okay, Bogosian needs to get, control of the satellite. Right. And then once he gets the satellite, it's like there are two arcs you're following. Right. Bogosian wants to use the satellite to blow everyone up. Yep. Steven Seagal wants to stop him. And, and that's all you need to fucking yeah, yeah. know. From the two cup from the couple that he yeah. tortures, we get that he invented the satellite right. and oh, is right. crazy. Yes. And then he killed himself, but it turns out he faked, faked his own death. Yes. And we are cutting over to the U.S. military base right. where they're like, how's the satellite doing today? And they're like, oh, uh, it seems fine. Oh, wait a second. It just blew up a Chinese like weapons factory or something. Well, like. he's got that great speech where he's like, uh, why, why do you want to blow up a manure plant? Right. And he's like, well, that manure plant is the cover for right. a like missile site. You know it, and right. we know it, and the Chinese know we know it. And you and know that we know that, we that they know, know that we know, you know? <laughs> he keeps going, like, and yeah. it is good. Bogosian's good. Bogosian's good. good. You like I, him, watching right, this movie, I love yeah. Watching this movie, I was like, I really want to get to play a part like this. I want to get to play the weaselly He's fucking so piece I, of shit. Like the Alan coming in yes. gold, uh, yeah. Goldeneye. Yeah. It's something about the hair. Yeah, yeah well, on a bad guy, like a good me, thick, yeah, black, big thick head black of curly, curly hair. hair. Yeah, plus like a plaid shirt and like tie combo. I can't remember if it's plaid, but like sort of colorful tie shirt combo where you're yeah. like, 
imagining like, huh, he like picked that out this morning, like before he went to like hijack a satellite. Like he well, thought, yeah. like, what am I going to wear today? And Bogosian was known at this time for being this like, you know, he was a live wire. He was sort of like incendiary and he was like filled with righteous anger. Yeah. And he was always kind of on like the right side. But you apply that to playing a lunatic, and it's like, this guy makes me uncomfortable. Right. Because no, he no, feels yeah. like he's going to pop at any moment. Yeah, you know? he, he, I mean, he was, before this, yeah, I'm looking at his, like, he wasn't anything except for, like, talk radio. That except was the for the thing. one-man show I mean, he guy. he had done all shows, and then Oliver Stone adapted talk radio and yeah. had him play the part. Yeah. But he hasn't yet, because, like, um, later, uh, he's on Law & Order right. for a few years. You know, he becomes more of, like, a regular... He wasn't, guy yeah, he wasn't on like TV and movies, but he's kind big of big in odd, movies yeah, at yeah, that yeah. point. But he was sort of, I think, a big figure. I think, like, culturally, people were talking yeah, about he was, him. Yeah, he was because he was kind of a burst onto he's the a scene. Good call for a sequel bad guy. I mean, like, but yeah. it was kind of, I give him credit. It's like, it's a good call, but it also, like, at the time was an outside the box choice, you know? Sure. I mean, it's almost like if you hired I mean, Ira Glass to, I don't to, know like, if the critics were applauding, like, oh, very good, you know? Yeah, but it still is like you know. Okay, so then yeah. uh, just back to plot because like otherwise, I mean, we'll, I mean, it's just a bunch of action scenes, right? But the stakes action are sequence. so clear. It's just like he's got to kill this guy in front of him. Yeah, right. Dane is this is their interference. Like it's two guys each trying to do. Heigl's in danger. Yeah, and you got Morris Chestnut. We shouldn't discount. Well, that's Morris a Chestnut huge element. Plays of this Bobby Zach. So all I want to just establish yeah. is. It it hits another '80s trope, similar to how we just like kind of established the like gross sexism. Sure, sure. You know, it's the bad guys are are are, are wealthy Muslims who want to destroy mm-hmm. the Pentagon. They, they, Let's they just do. move on. They That's do. a fucking terrible part. Yeah. Of Whatever. I'm not even that period about of time it. Yeah, I mean, of that action movies. That was just such a trope. I yeah. mean, it's just that's what it is. They have yeah. they have offered Bogosian a billion dollars mm-hmm. to make an earthquake under the Pentagon, which apparently has a nuclear power plant underneath yeah. it or something, which is news to me, but that's cool. Uh, so there you go. So that's what's happening. And they also, also oh, he please. blows up a Chinese power plant, mm-hmm. and he also blows up a plane using the same machine, which really bothered me because it was so. Uh, what are you doing, Betty? Uh, and uh, he does that for a hundred million dollars because, yeah. like, some guy's cheating wife is on the plane or something like that, right? Yeah, you know what's a thing that always like this is all me padding, out? right? But that always takes me out in movies like this. Is when it's like, why did he do this? Well, they offered me a hundred million dollars. Where are you going to spend that money? Yeah, excuse me. Like, what's your plan? You get off the train in Denver, go where, and get the money how, and spend it on what? Like, right. what is this? Right. They know you're the guy. You're the guy who blew up the Pentagon. Right. Arguably, your only option is move to Baghdad. You <laughs> move know, to fucking like, Mars. Right. Like, right. I mean, like, I, I, they're going to come get you. But that's always the thing. It's not like, oh, you pull off a heist and then you make a lot of money. It's like if you like hijack a satellite and the government knows exactly who the fuck you are. Yeah. And that- <laughs> that's the thing. In, at least in movies like Goldeneye, which yeah. is another satellite movie, yeah. uh, it's 96, same basic. There's like this sort of like they, they lay it out where it's like, oh, yeah. well, everything's going to like go down for seven minutes and the right. money's going to move and no one's going to know what happened. You know, right. like, they at least justify like he's they immediately doing this know the that show. he's the guy. He's like, yeah. hey, it's me, the, the, the satellite guy. <laughs> yeah. Talk radio. You know, like, I like to think that this movie influenced Aloha. Oh, oh militarization of space. Are you yes. kidding me? It's yes. the same fucking plot. Yes. And reckoning with your past. <laughs> oh, man. That's actually a really good point. It's yeah. really similar Aloha's to Aloha. kind of a remake of Under Siege 2 yeah. Dark Territory. It actually is. It actually is. Yeah. That is true. Oh, my God. All uh, right. But, so- no, but, the, but there is that thing of, like, you just imagine the guy, like, $100 million, that's my price, and he gets it, and it's like, what are you going to do with the money? Well, I've always just wanted to settle down, get a nice house where I can relax. <laughs> Have the government look for you forever. 
I just want to travel the world. Everyone will be watching you. You're Dane, the man who hijacked who a satellite. The Pentagon. Yes. And the power plant underneath. I just always want to build my own home theater. And I swear <laughs> to God. Yeah. That's so funny. Oh, we got to talk more chestnut. That's what you were winding up. Right, right. So, so chestnut. So we, uh, you had just been in Boys to the Hood. Is boys it, in the Hood. Boys in the Hood, sorry. What, yeah. Did I say Boys to the Hood? Yeah. Is that the sequel That's to the Boys That's the sequel. Hood? Yeah, they got to go back to the Hood. Oh, my God, yeah. Boys to the Hood, which is 91. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And so I guess he was just sort of floating around. He was in The Last Boy Scout. Mm-hmm. He hadn't been in much yet, but I guess he was just, you know, uh, an up-and-coming young actor. I do think they give this character more integrity, and I wonder how much of it is just Chestnut's performance. Is like He's a good actor. He's, he's got a lot of integrity as a guy. He just projects a lot of integrity, and they try to make him kind of like... The like dumb, like young, dumb, full of cum, like wisecracking dude. But he just has an innate intelligence and a trustworthy face. They mostly avoid, he doesn't, I don't know. I feel like the sort of like hip hop influence sidekick is a thing in these movies. Yeah. And there's like a little of that where he's kind of like, you know, talking like, just sort of like, I don't know, in like almost like a musical way about like, I got my, you know. But, but they like, both they mostly avoid much. it. Yeah. And yeah, it yeah, sort yeah. of becomes that like Seagal mentor. He mentors doesn't say that him. anything is like pimped out or whatever. Right, I don't right. know. Like he doesn't he doesn't do anything that's too egregious. Yeah, and they make him pretty smart, you yeah, know? Yeah. I mean they make him like I mean, arguably, yeah, I he seems more capable than Seagal. Yeah. Even when Seagal's trying to teach him, he projects a greater sense of like knowledge and confidence. Right. And, yeah. I, I also like that Seagal actually tries to teach him how to use a gun. Yeah. Whereas you know, any of these movies, it's always, you know how to use a gun? And they're like, ah. And it's like, just pull the trigger. Like, yeah. just squeeze. Like, what, they don't actually give you any advice. Yeah. And he's like, okay, so what you're going to want to do is line up your side. I can't remember exactly, yeah. but he, like, gives, like, a two-minute yeah, two speech hands, on how to, like, yeah. explains yeah, how yeah, yeah, to, like, yeah. position yourself. Right, right, yeah. right. But this is, like, I mean, the movie spends, I would argue Dane has more screen time than Seagal. They spend a lot of time with him. Seagal doesn't have much screen this time. This is what I'm kind of getting to, right? <laughs> so, Re- not really. Right. No. Yeah. yeah, Dane's definitely the main character. Got, how many lines do you think Seagal has? Like 25? Yeah, I was going to get like, to something like that, yeah, right? Yeah, 25, yeah. And it, it doesn't feel like, oh, that's a cool creative choice. Like, I read that, yeah. like, you know, Damon and Greengrass, when they're doing the Bourne movies, trying yeah, to Yeah, they it, talked about it. Like, because they're like, he's lines. a man of few words, he speaks louder in actions. This is just like, we have to know there's a cap to how many lines we can give him. Right. Like, the audience needs to get one line out of him every five minutes to remember that he's still in the movie. Yeah. But the film establishes, like, a real ensemble. And unlike something like Die Hard, where, like, it establishes an uh, ensemble so there's a kaleidoscopic effect and all those characters can pay off, this is, like, we need to take as much weight off of Seagal's right. shoulders so, as the, possible. The ensemble in Die Hard is brilliant. Unbelievable. It's brilliant. I mean, that's why that movie works yes. on top of all the other reasons why it right. works. And it feels like the Chestnut character, they're almost trying to make him a more weaponized version of Argyle. Sure. Which is like Argyle is like such a good fuck. Like this, like all the little characters in Die Hard are so well written and like human. The reason out. it works in Die Hard is when you cut to Argyle or yeah. you cut to Reginald Bill Johnson yeah. or like you know you cut to the, even the FBI guys yeah. who I think are brilliant. Like it's so funny how crazy they are. Uh, you're Johnson, like Johnson, yeah, yeah. You're like. I want to know what's up with these guys. Right. Oh, good. Here, here's that guy. I mean, I was interested in yeah. him. Whereas, like in other movies, you're like, oh my god, like can we get back to? But you this know. movie, they cast the supporting cast pretty well because yeah, I think, and this job. speaks to like, I mean, this movie being kind of well written and and certainly well directed. It's well directed. Well written is a stretch. I, I think it's competently written. <laughs> sure. Yeah. But, but good but, job, Matt. But here's yeah, here's the thing. Like, I mean, well written. I'm giving it the faintest praise in the world. But like compared to Suicide Squad, where I'm like, I don't understand what's going on in this scene, let alone what the overarching goal is, you know? Or yeah, or how this connects to the scene before or right. the scene following. Any of that. Yeah. It's like all of this is like, I don't understand what the fuck they're talking about, but I know he's trying to stop the satellite. 
and Bogosian's trying to launch the satellite. Right. Like, and that's just all said, you fucking need to know. The setup to this movie is dumb. Dumb. But they do f- five minutes of it, and you know exactly what's happening. And, not, and you and just get into matters. it. Exactly. So, okay, so now a new guy's coming with a knife. Seagal's got to beat him. That's all you need to know. Right. And then, like, Suicide Card, you're like, I don't know who they're fucking fighting. I don't know what the ultimate goal is, who they're supposed to trust. Do they like each other? You know? And I also think, like, this movie does such a good job of, like, doing the, like, let's set up that the bad guys are bad. In this, like, very cliche yes. stock, like, you know, it's it's not artful or elegant, but it's, like, they get on the train and immediately are, like, racist to Morris Chestnut. Right. They, like, grope Catherine Heigl. Right. And it's, like, these guys are awful. And Suicide Squad spends so much time, like, explaining why all of them are sweethearts before they let them get bad that it's like, well, I know, like, the better version of that movie, not to keep on fucking rewriting Suicide Squad, but, like, <laughs> let him be bad and then later in the movie reveal, like, oh, he's got a heart. But this movie just, like, these guys are really bad. Like, you fucking hate them, which is what movies like this need because you want to see them taken down. And then yeah. you root for them to be, like, thrown off the train. Right, uh, sure. And then crushed. Have their necks snapped. Oh, the guy who's crushed <laughs> under the train. That's yeah. pretty good. I wanted, I, I'll admit, these movies make you a little bloodthirsty. I, yeah. I almost wanted two seconds more of him being crushed by the train. Yeah. You know, it cuts a little too fast for me. But there's the thing where they, like, you know, and, and just, you know, action movies, like, big, like, sort of, like, popcorn movies like this, are all about, like, set-up punchline, right? Yeah. It's about, like, you set something off, up, you pay it off later. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I was the the group that I used to do stand-up with when I was a kid. A couple years ago, I went back and, like, helped coach the kids. And I was explaining it. And this sort of, like, I was... I hadn't put this into words before I said it because I was trying to find a way to explain it. And I, like, now kind of use this as my, like, overarching philosophy for comedy, but also just for, like, storytelling and filmmaking in general. If you're trying to make, like, a functional, like, you know, switch wa- Swiss watch kind of like tight action movie. It's like you gotta think of it like juggling, and and you're like throwing a ball up in the air and asking the audience to keep track of that ball with the mm-hmm. promise that you're gonna catch it again. Right. And Suicide Squad throws like so many balls up in the air, and then like then catches other balls that you didn't see them throw. Cat- a boomerang comes down. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, right, like, right. That shit. But this movie, it's like okay, he gets on the train. What's the name? Uh, uh, Ryback. Plus one. And then you see them in big green letters type in plus one. And you're like, why are they making such a big point in the plus one? Because later in the movie, when the guys get on the train, they're like, why is Ryback here? He must be on vacation. Who's he with? They look at the log. They see plus one. And they're like, it's not his wife. You mm-hmm. know, it has to be a girlfriend. Sure. Or like he wouldn't take her on a train, you know? So then and then they have to like go and they like interview everyone. They cross-reference the names. They see the Navy SEAL necklace. Like, it's all set up, and everything they ask you to keep track of in your mind... Which is not a ton, but no, enough. But but it all pays off. Yeah, right. Yep. None of it, like, in a way that's impressive. Yeah, no, they set, like, three balls rolling, yeah. and then at the end, there are three balls for you to catch. But yeah. in this day and age, that feels <laughs> no, fucking I masterful. Well, like, no, it, no, it's which just is economical. So I know what you're saying. Yeah, it is depressing. Do you know what I'm saying? Like this, yes, I know what you're saying. I, like, this movie is bad, but I look yeah. at it now, and I'm like, this is artful. It's like... There's spatial geography. Yeah, it's true. No, it's you understand true. what the characters are trying to I do, mean, even if you don't understand why. You understand what they're trying to do. And every plot point they set up, like the jokes like pay off later. You know, the characters like are set up as a one-dimensional thing, but then they do the one thing they were set up to do. Like it all fucking like I d- think that's all true. Yeah. But I think that we should also acknowledge that at one point a mercenary owns opens a door and looks at a pair of women's breasts, and then Steven Seagal kills him and says, Tits to die for. Yeah. I yeah. think this movie is not good, <laughs> but I think 
I, I, this is the point I want to keep on reading. Wait, wait, no, he goes, Tis to die for. Tis to die for. He's like leaving the, like he's already moving on before he says four. We were saying this. We were saying this before we started recording. He is the quietest movie star of all time. He's so quiet, and it doesn't feel like an affectation that's cool, where it makes you like lean in, like Brando. It just feels like he just doesn't know how to project. Um, but but yeah, there, I I want to reiterate my like mantra for this movie is like they don't make bad movies like this anymore. No, or at least not enough. Maybe once in a while. Like even, maybe once in a while those Statham movies will but pop. But I go see all those Statham movies and they all feel a little too kinetic for me, a little too yeah. well, like overly complicated. I think it's also because Statham popped not I mean, in yeah. movies directed by Guy Ritchie and then Neville Dean and Taylor who are very like yes. commercially, you know, I don't mean commercial in the box and also sense. You're like, like their movies look like commercials. And yeah. you're like Olivier Megaton's the like Europa yeah. Corp thing, which yeah. like those movies are super fucking overly kinetic and yes. whatever. I mean, even you know what the Neeson movies actually come closest to this. Like nonstop feels like a Steven Seagal movie. I forgot about the Neeson movies. The Neeson movies. Some of them are too much, but the, like they, oh, totally. But the Neeson movies are in their own odd because like Neeson was a serious. So it's right. like the Charles Bronson yeah. of his day or whatever, right? It's yes. like this like formerly like serious actor, yeah, who still will give a good performance in a movie once in a while, yeah. but also is just very happy to just. Phone in the gravitas, just yeah. like yeah, get what do I? I I've got a gun. What am I on? I'm on a plane. Great, but like Gonna nonstop, take like fucking works. Nonstop works. Nonstop's yeah. like the a good... one where January Jones is. That one sucks. That Unknown. one's real bad. Yeah, that one yeah. sucks. But you know, once in a while, I've seen all of them. I feel yeah. like the Neeson formula is also like they just spin the globe and they're like Baku, great, right. get him over there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's in Baku. How much do you give us Baku? Come on, if we're gonna film Liam Neeson, and they're yeah. like, I don't know, ten million dollars, and they're like, great. The Baku story. It's it, we're setting it up. I What's also, the story? Oh, he's oh, he's deadly. Well, here's this other like thought I have. Okay, I think like the '90s like give rise to like the real explosion of parody culture. Like suddenly parodies start getting really really big in a mm-hmm. lot of different platforms, right? And also like people start parodying genre. You know, not just like oh, we're doing a parody of Star Wars, but it's like these are the tropes of this type of movie. And especially the 90s action movie becomes a thing that, like, everyone makes fun of, you know? Oh, for sure. And I think, like, especially now that we're in a climate where, like, studios are run by, like, people who used to fucking, like, be in charge of Six Flags, who have no background in storytelling. Like, it used to be studios were run by hacks who at least tried to study storytelling and understood, like, audiences like it when this happens. And now they're like, audiences like it when you have Tweety Bird. Let's put Tweety Bird on a t-shirt. You know, like they don't even understand the fundamentals of- People like Ben-Hur, right? That won like 11 Oscars. Let's make another one. They just look at the surface level like results, but they don't even understand bad storytelling. Like clunky fucking crayon writ large storytelling. They understand branding and they understand franchising. They're run by branding experts. And they understand like, yeah, exactly. Right. And uh, but but oh boy, movies are depressing. Why are you in that industry? I fucking am retiring. Uh, I'm out. Uh, I think Under Siege Three. I'll do Under Siege Three. Great. Uh, I'll play the Bogosian role. I'll play the son of Dane. Um, They'll be on a blimp this time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's a slower, less helpful yeah. piece of mode of transportation? Yeah. <laughs> They're on a barge. Yeah. <laughs> like, but the blimp goes above the satellite, so they can't. They go into darker oh, territory. Oh, darkest yeah. territory. Yeah, darkest territory. Um, I do. I do think there's something where like '90s action movies got parodied so much. That yes. then there was this thing of like, oh, the audience recognizes all the tropes. They recognize the no. cliches. And then, yeah, you get your your honest trailers. Well, type have you guys right. watched audiences. Last Action Hero recently? Well, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna it's watch weird. that one day. It's weird. I I remember being a kid and being like, I hate this movie. Right, yeah. right, right. It's 
No, yeah. I mean it's Last bad, Action Hero, is but it's like it's yes. it's a weird, but it's weird also movie. That's kind of the movie where the bubble breaks because yes. it's like you can't make the movie that's a parody directed by the people who did the thing that we're parodying starring it, and starring the, the guy, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. Like yeah. it's like the whole that's thing sort a movie of eats that, itself. Like, these days, like Andy Samberg would be in or whatever. Yes. You know, like, I don't know. Like it'd be a Jack Will Black movie. Yes, like Jack Black. Yeah, you know. But but you get to this point where I think like Hollywood becomes so allergic to doing any of the things that they feel have already been parodied. Like, they know our tricks. We can't do that anymore. So they start trying to, like, avoid all the cliches that have been recognized. Sure. But those cliches are kind of like building blocks it's of storytelling. It's that you want to be on That's for the these problem. movies. That's the problem, like, for know? this kind of movie. And you get to them now, and you're like, I don't even understand what the fuck is going on. Right. Like, I can't figure out what the objective is. The characters are so complicated and contradictory. And it's like, just make it one guy who does one thing. You know, he's got this as a backstory. This is what haunts him. This is what he's trying to do. Yeah. And the bad guy has one goal. And well, you want those fucking setups that pay off in like the one-liners later. You want the supporting characters no, who do the thing. Why? Why Bogosian? Why does he have like? Why does he need revenge? Because he needs revenge. Because he wants a hundred million dollars. Yeah. If I'm paying money to go see this movie, that's what I want out of it. Right. And I feel like too many of these movies. There's like you know a very select group of people who like in the heyday were able to heighten this stuff into high art, like John McTiernan, right? Mm -hmm. But by and large, I, like, see a lot of, like, you know, Nisa movies or Statham movies where I'm like, you're trying to be more respectable than you need to be. Just fucking lean into it. Know what you are. Fucking own it. You know? Just, like, own this shit. And Suicide Squad's like, nah, man, we're fucking... Fuck Marvel, like this and that, and it's like, yeah, but you're not, you're not on the rails. Like you have to stay on the road. Like nothing's gonna fucking matter if you're swerving like this. Yeah. I don't understand where we're trying to go. Under Siege Two like sucks and rolls so much simultaneously. Yeah, it's weird. Well, hey, let's. Can we? Are we? Are we? I was gonna talk about the Newton. Oh, please talk about the Newton. Talk about the Newton. Cool. So we're we're back in the we're back in the uh like a baggage car area. And Steven, you know, is basically like he's like figuring Excuse out his me. Casey Ryback. Oh, you're right. Ryback's figuring out his approach, what he's gonna do. What does he reach into his bag and grab? A motherfucking 1995 Apple Apple product called the Newton. Mm. Now, kids out there, you probably don't know this. What this was is it was the first tablet device, yeah, basically, yeah, baby. Yeah. where you could write on like a a, a little like a little touchpad little touchpad with a stylus right with a stylus and it would transfer your handwriting and turn it into to to typed out words it was this was cutting edge extraordinarily technology. efficient it was amazing <laughs> i mean i think everybody our age might think of the simpsons joke eat up martha yeah right like that's it right yes like is there any other reference point for the newton no no but Apple paid, I'm sure, a little bit of money to get some product placement in there. This is the mi- this is the middle of the Newton. You know, this is like when the Newton is at its hottest. It launched in like '93 or something. I think this is Apple's. Like, come on, we got to make the Newton happen. But if you have seen uh, the Steve Jobs film, you'll know that was actually a, a, a catastrophe. It, yeah. it was the last thing that made them bring Steve Jobs back, where they yeah. were like, "Oh, we're so broke that we they yeah, yeah. yeah, right." So he uses that to place a phone call. Uh, it's not really important. It's really just product placement, but damn it, I love it. Yeah. Mm, so good. Otherwise, though, I don't know. We don't really need to talk about the plot. It's really just... No. He, no, bad he guys goes, goes and he fights the bad guys, yeah. kills them one by one. Right. Uh, sometimes he'll snap their necks with his hands. Yeah. Other times he shoots them. Yeah. 
He's completely unflappable, as we said. Oh, this was the other thing. I'm sorry that I was trying to get to. He's never scathed. Yes. The movie, very smartly, talking about, I think, you know, like, not well-written, but well-constructed. I would say that's that's a differentiation. It's not a good script, but it's well-constructed. Sure. And it's certainly well-directed. Like, it looks nice. Yes. With this amazing, Murphy, great director. amazing fucking Basil Polidoro score, mm-hmm. who's the guy who did the RoboCop score. And oh, it's cool. like, it's not trying to be cool. It's not like a fucking, like, you know, techno, like, breakdown thing or, like, fucking insane, like, guitar riffs, which, like, it's just, like, this heroic score that makes everything that happens in the movie feel really fucking important mm-hmm. um, and makes Steven Seagal feel more cinematic because if he's just walking around a corner with a gun, he's not really doing anything physically impressive. But like the horns swell, <laughs> yeah, 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 you yeah. know, it's like, oh shit. But there's there's something to it. There's something that's really uh, arresting about him just walking into a train he's car. He's compelling. He literally walks with just purpose. standing there. And uh, yeah, you, I like, like it. Even though Mike Ovitz making him a movie star was totally like a Ludicrous, horrible power yes. hungry, like, you know, mad move on his part. You kind of understand how if you were in a class with him, you'd be like, this guy's this got guy's something. This guy's got a presence. Yeah. Yeah, he's not, like, necessarily charismatic, but there's, like, some kind of vibe there that's kind of compelling. I mean, we're spending a lot of screen time just looking at Steven climb into compartments, yeah. like, be on top of the yeah. train, yeah. like, hiding underneath, like, not even just fighting bad guys, just all that stuff. But it's you're a like, lot of looking. But you're, like, excited. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, man. But this movie also sets up a lot of satellite groups because I think they know he can't carry that much. And I think yeah. Under Siege, but the and first one. he's a famous prima donna, right? I mean, right. like, he's, like. It's difficult to work with. Widely yeah. reported the worst person who ever hosted SNL. Right. Like, Lorne Michaels, who doesn't speak ill of people yeah. in public, has spoken ill of him in public. The like, story is doesn't want to do anything. The like, story is at the first pitch meeting, they said, you know, they always go to yeah, the host, like, do you, have ideas, any, right. do you have any sketches that you, do you have any ideas? He goes, yeah, yeah, I got an idea for a sketch. It's a woman who gets raped, and then she goes into her therapist, and is, like, talking about being raped, and then the therapist rapes her as well, and then he's like, that'll be $400. <laughs> oh because my therapist, god. are you? I swear to god, serious? it's in live from New York. That's that's the sketchy oh pitches. God. Is it ends way, with a joke about therapists costing a lot of money. Oh my god, by live from New York, written by James Andrew Miller and yeah. Tom Shales. And James Andrew Miller just wrote a new book about CAA, which is that's about, Ovitz, about Ovitz, which yeah. is apparently really good. Yeah. And I want to read it. Um, but this movie smartly, like, I, I think A, they were like. It's going to be difficult to work with him, so we should try to, like, Well, I think that utilize, was the, probably the Seagal yeah. rules, right? right? He's going to want to do two hours a day. Yeah. If he's climbing uh, through, like, some, you know, air shaft, he's going to want to do 30 minutes that day. He right? can't like, do long you know, take. It's, it's right. got to be quick action. Yeah. So let's like, just, yeah. let's pad it with a lot of other things. Give him very little dialogue. Because yeah. even, like, that scene where he goes to the bar and he sees, like, Heigl sing there and he goes, like, what's that young woman drinking? And she's like. That that girl there with the phony ID and yeah. the and the tonic and like lime. It's such a cute scene, right? Yeah. Like, oh great. But like the joke <laughs> is that like I think the joke is that she tried to buy booze, right. which is crazy. I mean, she was like ten years younger than the illegal drinking. Age. Right. But I think the joke is also that when he's going to the bar, it's gonna look like he's hitting on the woman offering to buy her another drink, and right. then it's like subver- like reversal. Sure, sure. It's he's the concerned uncle looking out for her, and then he goes and sits down with her after they've done that sort of like twist, like reversal thing, and then just feels like he wants to fuck her face. Like the whole conversation it's he has weird. with her is so sexually charged. It is weird. Yeah. It is weird. Um, but but this movie very smartly is like, let's set up as many satellite characters as we mm-hmm. can. So even though he's kind of training Morris Chestnut, Morris Chestnut is functioning independently he's for a solo lot of the movie. almost immediately. So you'll like see him training him. Yeah. And then Morris Chestnut will go on his own mission, take down a couple dies, and then at the end of that, when he's like done the work, 
then Seagal shows up and he's like, good work. Yeah. And then the next scene, Morse Chestnut's alone as right, well. Right. And then Seagal goes, hey, Morse, good work. You know, it's like, <laughs> and then they set up Heigl. Heigl's they set got up, a whole business with a mace. We got a lot of bad guys. Like, yeah, of ba- yeah, Kurtwood yeah. Smith back in the office. There, There's the nerdy guy back at the office. There is also. Wait, do you remember his line? Yes. What's the line about, like, uh, he's like, uh, you know what they say about space? It's got a lot of room. Remember that, like, yeah, yeah, really yeah. Really long. And it's like, where he's like. That's the joke. other part he's I'd love like, to play in that Where's play? the yeah. satellite? And the guy's like, eh, space, a lot of room. And he's like, what did you just say? Yeah. And he's like, oh, well, what I said was, that's what they call it space. Because it has a lot of room. Yeah. And everyone's like. Okay, anyway. like, And you're like, wait, why was this included? In and at the end <laughs> of the movie, this guy who's had almost nothing to do, they like give him the choice. They're yeah. like, you have to choose to, the missile's got to go somewhere. We either kill like this many people or this many people. Right. And they like make him like the moral center of the film. But it is like, they're just like, Okay, let's let's like divide our let's attention. Have stuff, right? There is a brief... and let's get other like real deal actors Seagal, who can carry it. Seagal gets on top of the train a couple yeah. of times. There's this brief interlude where he's not on the train. Yeah, where oh, he yes. like drives a car. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't paying a ton of attention as to why this all happened. No. He's like thrown from the train. I mean, I think gets the only, in a car, gets back on the train. The only thing we should really establish, like otherwise, plot uh, for the plot is that the dark territory, and really, it it oh, comes. We don't need to establish. It comes that. halfway in, and really, all yeah. it is is that the mercenaries have set this up that after they explode the Pentagon, right. they're going to uh, uh, board territory. a helicopter, yeah. Yeah. and they've rerouted the train into heading towards dark territory where it will collide with an oil train, yes. and be, they can't communicate with train dispatchers, right. so that's yeah. why the collision will happen. And the, the oil train has like 100 billion million tons of oil, and so flammable. Like, it's going to be like the biggest explosion you ever saw. Oh, it's good. And then it does collide with those. Those two trains so do collide yeah. on yeah. top of a bridge. And it's a great practical, like, two models nice. crashing, nice. and then you have, so like, good. you have... Uh, it's a little hard to tell how Seagal rescues everyone, but he does. Well, he gets them on a, two cars and he like separates the cars somehow. Yeah, he breaks the cars yeah. apart so yeah. that the the mercenaries are all just on the front right, half of right. the train and everyone yeah. it, captive is like you know saved. And then him and uh, Chestnut jump back on because yeah. they have to kill the rest of the bad guys. Of course, which they do, and they do. Yeah, uh, he's he has the big Aikido fight with Everett McGill, which, which is, is a, lot a lot of, of him going like swatting, sw- sw- swerving his arms around. He's the only action star who works better in close-ups yeah. than wides. It's because everyone else you want to see their body moving, and Seagal you just want to see his hands close to his face. It is amazing when he's doing it. Yeah, like because you've just never seen anything like it's it. It's captivating. Yeah. It is, even though it's. It it's sucks. so it's so unorthodox in yeah. terms of an action scene. It's like not it's only just odd. from the stories I've heard about him, right, and his behavior as a real person, which he's are a all like problem. He's yeah, a problem. He's a real he problematic is, human yeah. being who is notoriously a piece of shit in any way that someone could be a piece of shit. Yeah. But watching this movie and and in the character he's playing is the antithesis of what I like in movie character. Like, I like vulnerability, you know? I like emotional growth. I like someone with an inner none, life. None of this. But none I'm of like, this happened. can't stop watching this guy. I don't intellectually like but, him at all, but it's like, for some reason, I'm, I'm compelled. I don't really like Seagal either, and I've yeah. never been a fan, and I haven't seen most of his yeah. movies. And I enjoyed watching this. I don't know that I'm going to go watch a bunch of other Seagal movies tomorrow. I definitely want to watch Under Siege 1. Yeah, I'd like to see that. After sometime. watching this, I want to see Under Siege. Yeah, I guess I should see it too. Yeah, <laughs> interesting that you never saw it. I guess like USA or whatever didn't own the rights to one; yeah. they just had two. How many times? Do it you was think like you've how U.S. Marshals would be on TV yes. all the time, but the like, show me the fugitive. <laughs> I have to say, I've probably seen this not as many as Fletch, but yeah. like I feel like 
I remember definitely being at friend's house and bringing this in easily like 15, 20 times. Yeah, that's yeah. great. So good. And, um, uh, and I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it's just he saves the day, man. Yeah. He fucking saves the, the way day. he takes on Bogosian. Bogosian's like, I got the thing. There's no way you can stop me. I'm gonna yeah. set the thing off, and then he like he's got a laptop. Oh, yeah. right. We should also say that at one point he rigs up a bomb out of a pager. Oh, he makes and a, a cocktail shaker. He's the chef of explosives. Fluid. Yeah, yeah, and uh, that's and coconut good. oil. Yeah, and, and the bomb essentially he does is a lot of time devoted to that, and then he a just lot. like throws it at one guy, and the guy is set on fire. And it's one of those classic old stuntman things yeah. where like the guy's on fire, and he like wanders into three different ah! rooms. On Fire. Ah! It's great. I love yeah. it. He like falls down the stairs on fire. Ah! It's good. But yeah, Bogosian's got the laptop and something else. Yeah, the and CD? he's like, I can't remember. I'm gonna like you know. You can't stop me. Yeah. Like, there's no way you can stop me. And Steven Seagal shoots the laptop and him simultaneously. Right. And he goes, Which, Oh, I didn't think of that. <laughs> I was like, that, That's very obvious. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. But anyway, yeah, maybe you shouldn't be holding the laptop over your heart. <laughs> But then Bogosian does come back, climbs onto the helicopter There's ladder. There's like a great 90s like shot where it's like th- these model trains and a model bridge, and then he's like superimposed over right. it, but in like old like, school ah! non-CGI ways. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's great. Um, yeah, and then they uh, they get off the train. He like hugs Heigl, and then they cut to uh, Seagal's now wearing his like military uniform, which yeah, I don't know how much he wears in the first movie, but uniform. that's the poster image for the first movie. It is movie. the poster image, and it, there is an Under Siege 2 poster that is essentially a ripoff of the first. That's like almost the exact same it's poster, the, except just with there's the train. a yeah. train instead of a boat. Right. <laughs> now, the one poster I know, which was the more, is he's like hanging on to the train, and, and he's got a gun. And, yeah. Um, and, and yeah, and then they cut to this, and they're at the, the cemetery, and they look at the gravestone of his dead brother. Right. And they like just stand there, and then the credits start. Like it's like immediate out. But this song plays, right? Mm-hmm. Do you do you know where I'm going with this? Do you know about this song? So I'm gonna play some of this just so we can hear. It, but I, if you could track in, oh, add yeah. in, and post, sure, in post. If you could add in the the first like 15 seconds of the song, okay? Because I need to talk about like so the image we're seeing on screen is Steven Seagal having just fought a bunch of terrorists on a train. At the gravestone of his brother, okay? Okay, so she drops the flowers off at the grave. You see the gravestone. It says James A. Ryback. Yeah, his Navy. brother. Yeah. They hug. The first line is, oh, brother. The song starts with, oh, brother, and very immediately becomes about a metaphorical train yes. that has that left has the left. station. Yes. So I was like, this is the most fucking on-the-nose song of using all the buzzwords from the film, especially the last five minutes, right? Right. Where the fuck did they find this song? You know, like, did they reverse engineer the movie from the song? Did they get someone to write the original song? So I watched through the end credits because I'm like, I got to figure out what the backstory of this song is. Written and performed by Steven Seagal. Are you kidding me? I am not kidding I you. did not know that. That's First of all, awesome. dude's got a decent voice. Yeah. Credit where credit's due. He sounds a little yeah. bit like uh, uh, Bob's, uh, Bob yeah. Siegel. Yes, yeah. Bob Seeger. Seeger. Yeah. Seeger. 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 His you. singing voice is inarguably better than his speaking voice. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? Uh, come on. After the train's gone. Yeah. But he sings, he sings this song about his fucking brother going on the train to heaven. I wonder if Steven Seagal has a real brother who went on the train to heaven. I wonder. I wonder if he has full albums. Uh, what if he was like, he sat down with like 23-year-old Matt Reeves and was like, once you're right about my brother, he died. And but, my but that's just like so emblematic of the culture of like, fuck, we got to let Steven write a song. Steven's only going to do the movie if we write a song for I him. I mean, as, as we said, uh, or maybe we didn't say it on mic, but you know, this was the end of yes. Steven Seagal's 
Hollywood star. Oh, yeah, yeah. For he sure. makes more movies, and he has this brief resurgence with Exit Wounds and Half Past Dead, where he's in movies that star uh, like black leads. Like he's the only white lead. Like it was you know, like surrounding him with hip hop, quote unquote, stars. urban yeah. or gritty, like Joel Silver produced crime movies. Right, which was a weird zone to put odd, him in. Odd zone to put him but in. Exit but Wounds I, did well. Half Past Dead didn't, and then he immediately Half-Past went back Dead, to doing home. Had the greatest title of all time. Unfortunately, yeah. was terrible and didn't and do well. teamed him with the chestnut. It did retain. He him picked with a chestnut, chestnut off although, the tree. Although chestnut's the villain in Half Past Dead, but yeah. Uh, but yeah. So and then that's it. He does direct to, to DVD. He does a reality movies. show about him being a cop. Yeah, which got in trouble after he was like sued, but then I think the lawsuit was dropped. He's been sued many times yes. for like sexual harassment and yep. stuff like that. Yep. Uh, even uh, the big one, right? Notorious rape. jerk. Has he? I, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, believe he's a bad dude. Yes. It seems. Yes. Allegedly. Um, yeah, and he's yada, yada, yada. Uh, like I think his ex-wives only have awful things many to say about ex-wives, him. Many ex-wives, yes. including Kelly LeBrock. Yes. Um, he had an energy drink called Steven Seagal's Lightning Bolt. Yeah. And I remember that on the soup back in the day, that would be a running joke is that when Joel McHale got stressed out, it you would drink. it would yeah. float in on like a <laughs> on a string and he'd be and like some like, you know, cheesy quote unquote Asian music would yeah. play, like a gong or whatever, and he'd be like, Oh, Steven Seagal's lightning bolt, like mystic Asian experience flavor. Thank you. Yeah, it was very funny. Anyway. Uh I, I, he also uh, owns the single worst hairpiece in Hollywood. He is the it's, number it's one insane. worst. It's insane. He's also very close with Vladimir Putin, yes. the president of Russia, who yeah. he has appeared with at events many times and has praised his leadership. And he was never in shape, but he's real big he's, now. He's gotten big. Yeah. Anyway, so, you know, it was a swan song for Seagal. <laughs> now, Jeff After Murphy, I do gone. want to shout out Jeff Murphy. Yeah. When I was in college, I took a course called New Zealand Cinema. Uh-huh. I took it because I wanted to date someone who's taking the course. Hey now. Uh, Humble brag. Indeed. She's now married. She just got married. Humble Congrats brag. Um, but, uh, but also, I guess, I mean, I seemed like kind of a goof-off course anyway. New Zealand cinema. Yeah. And, you know, we watched movies like Once Were Warriors and Heavenly Creatures and The Piano. Like, you yeah. know, movies you might... And then three movies from the 80s by this guy, Jeff Murphy, who was like the first director they ever had, basically. Mm-hmm. He made this movie called Goodbye Pork Pie in okay. 81. Good title. This delightful yeah. little road chase movie, basically like a cute little chase movie. Utu, which is like about like colonial Britain in New Zealand and the war with the Maoris. That's really good. Okay. And then in 80, 85, he makes this movie called The Quiet Earth about a man who wakes up on a planet that's completely empty of people. Mm-hmm. That is brilliant. It's like a great uh, A plus sci fi movie. Mm-hmm. Seriously, he's great. And then he comes over to Hollywood, and they just they I guess they foist him onto genre movies. Yeah, like he made was it Young Guns two? He made Young Guns two. Yeah, and, and Fortress two reentry. He made yeah. Free Jack. Yeah, which is uh, that's with uh, Emilio Estevez. I, I believe think. so. Yeah. I believe so. Ooh, and Anthony Hopkins. Ooh, this looks good. Yeah. Let's watch it. This movie, it, it, it has a certain uh, a formal class to it, though. You know, I mean, the guy clearly totally. knows how to yeah. construct a movie. He does. And, uh, you know, it, it, I think it's too bad that he never got to have, like, a serious Hollywood career. Yeah. But he was a journeyman, never and he made some out. cool yeah. stuff. Can we play the box office game? Yes, yes, we can. Yes. July 14th, 1995. Uh-huh. So Seagal movies, if you look, they often would come out in like April or right. October. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was really in the days when the summer was very constrained yeah. from like the end of May to the beginning of August. So he was, you know, he was more of your, in your lulls, you know, you'd, you'd put your Seagal movie yeah. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is a right in the middle of summer. Right. It opened at number two with $12.6 million. Not bad. It eventually made 50 domestic and 104 total okay. worldwide. Totally fine $60 million budget. Yeah. I mean, not great, but 
Yeah, I think a little bit of a disappointment because the first yeah, one was so no, big, was. But, but not bad. So number one is a film that's been in the box office three weeks. Okay. And is a great movie. Live action or animated? Live action. I always have to ask that first. Oscar nominated. Oscar nominated for Best Picture? Yes, among others. So this is for 1995. I saw it in theaters. I've probably seen it a hundred times because it's on TV all the fucking time. Uh, Forrest Gump? Nope. 95, not 94. That's 94? Yeah. Forrest Gump is 94. Yes. Oh, oh, and 93 is Jurassic Park and... Not. Right. Schindler's List. Okay, so 1995... same lead actor. Oh, interesting. Okay, so wait, 1995 is Toy Story. That's true. I'm just trying to reverse engineer from there, okay? 1995, the first Toy Story comes out that November, but it's Tom Hanks in a film from 1995. It's not a rom-com. It's not for Best Picture. Why Why am I not? So Philadelphia's earlier. That's Forrest Gump. Love this movie. Oh, man. Fuck, what is this? All right, should I tell no, you who's no, in it? No, 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 don't tell me. Let's go down to three. I'm gonna, I want to I wanna sit on the hang. Three is a bad rom-com. Bad, bad, bad. You hate it. I... I have no opinions on it except that it's bad. I don't hate it. It's okay. shitty. I think it's a remake of a French movie. It stars a British actor who is hot, hot, hot after another- It's a Hugh Grant movie? It's a Hugh Grant movie. It's a remake of a French movie. Is Believe it Nine Months? That's correct. Okay. Which is the plot of Nine Months literally is just, a man gets a woman pregnant. Takes about nine months. What's he going to do? Yeah. Chris Columbus, Julianne Moore, right? You know, like uh, and Robin Williams. Robin Williams pops up in that one. There's this. I heard Chris Columbus on some podcast recently because that was his follow up to Mrs. Doubtfire, which at that time was like the ninth highest grossing movie in history. Uh-huh. Like Mrs. Doubtfire was fucking colossal, and he in this interview was like, "We were testing better in test screenings than Mrs. Doubtfire. Everyone thought it was going to be a bigger hit than Mrs. Doubtfire." And then Hugh Grant got caught with, like, Divine Brown, right. and it ruined the movie. It was right then, And I was yeah. like, okay, that definitely didn't help you. Like, that was the wrong like, no sort of No one messaging. was excited for there Nine Months. There was no months. way Nine Months was going to outgross Mrs. Doubtfire. Come on! Okay, so Nine Months is number three. Number four? Number four is an R-rated, sexy, sci-fi thriller. Number four is an R-rated, sexy, sci-fi thriller. It's not a sequel. It's the first? Not a sequel, although sequels were made. Species. Species. Oh, fuck yeah. Forrest Whitaker. Is Ben Kingsley in that? Yeah. Yeah. Natasha Henstridge. Natasha Henstridge. Yeah, okay. Number five is the big Disney animated movie of the summer. Uh, So 95, the summer with Pocahontas? Correct. Cool. I'm doing pretty well on this one, actually. Yeah, you are. I'm surprised, yeah. yeah. But you don't have number one. Okay, so 95, Hanks, why am I not fucking thinking of this? So Toy Story comes out that year. He's on top of the world because by the time Toy Story, that's the whole thing. Is Stop what, thinking about Toy Story. It's not going to help you. No, no, no. But this is why it is helping me because the narrative on Toy Story was they hired him before he'd even gotten his first Oscar nomination. So when they hired him, they thought they were. I, I, I'm sorry, he had gotten big before he had won his first Oscar. Oh, okay. So they at the time were like, "Oh, he is like a good comedy actor." And then the time between when they hired him on Toy Story and when it came out, he became like the biggest movie star, right? Okay. And so I know that they like the narrative is they always said. In between when we hired him on Toy Story and when it came out, he had Forrest Gump, he had Philadelphia. They always cite, like, the couple of big ones. It's a fucking this best... a huge movie. It's a huge movie. People are probably screaming at us right now at home. What? Give me the genre. It's a drama. It's a real-life movie. It's based on something that really happened. Is it, like, a war movie, you think? Well, it's not no. Saving Private Ryan. No. <sighs> Based on a real thing. I mean, if I tell you the real genre, you're going to know. Yeah. No, don't. 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 
Uh, is it a director he had worked with before or would work with again later? Definitely works with him multiple times later. Can't remember if he'd worked with him before. No, he had. He had. He'd worked with him. He works with this director a lot. Okay, so it's not Bobby Z. No. And it's not Spielberg. No. Who else does he work? And it's not. It's not a romantic comedy. He works with this director a lot. And it gets only for fucking best. Oh, 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 oh. I am the biggest fucking idiot in the world. Of course, the film is Apollo 13. Yes, that is correct. Of course. A Ron Howard film. Of course. Of course. A great movie. Yes. With great stars. Of course. A great story. Of course. Houston, we have a problem. Yeah. I always forget that he got nominated for that. Uh, Hanks? Yeah. Was he? I can't actually remember. I think was he, he was, yeah. I'm not actually sure that he was. I think he was, and certainly the actress who played his wife was. Kathleen Quinlan was nominated right. for Best Supporting Actress. I think Hanks Ed was Ed Harris nominated. was nominated for Best Supporting Actor and didn't win in a travesty. Right. Mm. He's incredible in that movie. Sinise is pretty good, too. Sinise is good. Bacon. Yeah, you always got to put a little bacon Side on top. Side of bacon? Not side, put it on top. Sure. Topping of bacon. Topping of bacon. <laughs> <laughs> bacon. Uh, who else is in that? Lots of great character actors. And now it's time for one final segment of Tips for Watching the Tick on Amazon Prime. Okay, folks, it's the final crunch. We're, by the time this is coming out, we're probably in the last week of it being on Amazon Prime. Uh, so if you've watched it, that's great. If you tweet about watch it, it again. that's great. Certainly feel free to watch it again. But uh, here's the big thing, because some of the messaging hasn't been as clear on the website about this as it could. Uh, if you go to Amazon.com backslash pilot season... The main header banner image will have a link that says click here to take the survey. The survey takes two minutes, and that is a very, very helpful way to support the show. And if you click on the tick from there, it only works on a a computer. You can't do it off if you got an Amazon app on some sort of device. I I did the survey on my PlayStation. There's both the survey you can do. Oh, interesting. I did, yeah. Interesting. I had heard contrary things, but David might just be a technical genius. I watched the tick on my PlayStation, and then it presented me with the survey, and I did it. Okay. Well, if you go to Amazon.com backslash pilot season, it'll be right there. You can take the survey. It's very clearly marked. And then also, if you click on the tick itself and scroll down, there is a space where you can do like customer reviews as if it is a broom that you bought from Amazon. And giving yes, us a star right. rating helps. You don't have to write anything, or you can just write thumbs up, no bits, per smits, whatever you want to do. Uh, that That's Indeed. the end of this segment. I kept it short and sweet. But thank you all for- uh, The tick I, is great, guys. I'm very proud of it. I'm very relieved that people seem to like it. And it's uh, as someone who still has not learned to not read the comments and is reading literally everything that everyone's writing about the show, it is very heartening to me to see how many blankies are coming out and supporting the show. I'm seeing a lot of names I don't even recognize from like our Twitter and stuff posting about the show in different places or in the reviews, making sort of subtle blank check hat tip uh, mm-hmm. references, which I really appreciate and uh, thank you. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. It's great. It came out and then I went to Connecticut. Yeah. Uh, my girlfriend has, her family has a home in Connecticut that has no internet or Wi-Fi yeah. or anything. I have yeah. like a little phone signal. You were but, Jones and watching. And so I had the whole weekend people being like, tick's great, love the tick. And I was just sitting there. And a lot of people Couldn't were tweeting at you going, like, what, David's Did being like suspiciously quiet. Are you going to review the tick? Yeah, and I'm of like, all people. I'm like, don't yeah. worry, guys. I'm going to review the tick. I mean, like, in a tweet. I can't review it for the Atlantic. Wait a second. Yeah. Wait a second. Do you hear something? Oh, my God. Really? <laughs> we're doing this? Do you think he'd make a good burger? It's Jeff, the burger report. Yes, he would. Now, I told you guys this two weeks ago that I had a good burger report, and I said, please remind me, because oh, it's really big, and I don't want to yes. give any spoilers, yeah. and then we you forgot to remind Totally me. forgot. Sorry. So this is coming like a couple episodes late, but I have 
a good one. Now, I started preparing a presentation for this burger report that I gave up on halfway through. I really want to pump it up because it's been a while since I scooped one myself, <laughs> and I want to make it a little theatrical. But I started working on this, and then I forgot it, so let me see how much I can wing this, okay? Okay. dun 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 how does a podcast co-host, actor from Draft State, comedian dropped oh, in the no. middle of a Schnippers Times Square <laughs> oh, burger no. location, searching for famous, find one to put on his podcast? Okay, so I don't so have- So you the- went to the Schnippers on 8th and 41st, yeah. is what you're saying. Right. Let's zoom ahead to later in the song. Okay? Go on. Who did he see? Lin-Manuel Miranda. Uh-huh. Did you it talk to Lin-Manuel him? It was Lin-Manuel Miranda. And there's a patty in between two buns on his tray, on his tray. So I clearly reverse engineered it from that. I came yeah. up with the course. I thought yeah, that was good. Right. I started writing the, and then it, it was too be hard. stuck in my head I was all literally, week now. Lin-Manuel Miranda. His name was Lin-Manuel Miranda. If there's a patty in between two buns on his tray, on his tray. So yeah, uh, hot scoop. I saw Lin Manuel Miranda throw out a burger. <laughs> he threw it out. He didn't I mean, like he, it. I think he was mostly done with it. But oh, I just okay. saw him disposing of the tray. Lin Manuel. No one was bugging him. No, it was amazing. It's interesting because I feel like I've seen him tweeting like, yeah. guys. You know, I, I'm glad you like the show, and I'm oh, glad you like me. Speak. But yeah. like, it's getting a little real. Like you guys are being a little freaky. I'll say this. So uh, he has cut his hair though, right? and yeah. shaved his face. Yeah, so and he that's looks a big much deal. younger, and he looks pretty different. And I'm he's such a sweetie pie. I'm, you know, obviously a notable, like, you know, a skilled, famous spotter. But even I had to do, like, a triple take to make sure it was him. And then when I sort of was looking at him being like, I think that's him, he made eye contact with me and was like, oh, fuck, is this guy going to come up and, like, sing the song to me? You know, I could tell that he was, like, I'm trying to be inconspicuous. Mm -hmm. But I did, in fact, see Lin-Manuel Miranda at Schnippers throwing out the remains of a burger. I could not identify which burger it was. I want to say it was maybe the Schnippers Classic or I the like Old Fashioned. I, I go there too. before I see screenings. Yes. A lot at the Regal uh, Ewok yes. or the AMC 25. I have a tradition with my friend Alex Perlin where we uh, go to see a movie at one of those two theaters almost every weekend and get lunch at Schnippers beforehand. And so I go to Schnippers, I'd say, at least three times a month uh, and uh, have been for months being like, i got to see a FAMO at some point. And it finally, it finally happened. I saw Lin-Manuel... Miranda eating a burger. The burger report. Yes. We did it. It's we fucking got, back, baby. We got it. And it's always, as oh, please send in your burger please report. Yeah, here's the thing. I mean, we're, we, you know, we're we've run out. Right, yeah. And it's, you talked to Lin Manuel Miranda. He you was leaving. I was, I was trying to go see a screening of what was I going to see? I don't know. Some fucking movie. Who fucking gives a shit? No, I'm interested. Well, it would have been, at this point, this would have been like three weeks ago. So the last movie I saw with my friend was Sausage Party, but before that. How was that, that? Did you like Sausage? I thought it was okay. Yeah. Here's, I haven't seen it. There's no joke in the movie that is funnier than the concept of the movie existing. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah, yeah. Like, I walk out and I'm like, ha, 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 ha. Yeah. That movie was made. <laughs> you know, like, that's the funny part, is that people had to work really hard to make that movie. I'm trying to think. It's, it's okay. War Dogs is okay. I wish you'd seen it with me. Yeah, there's I'll... little bits and pieces to it where you're like, ah. Well, I was invited, so. Well, you, I'm sorry, you could. I had to see it Thursday night too. Yeah, I mean, you just it. said you said I wish you'd seen it with me. Well, it's like that was ball was in your. I court. was a bit of a chore seeing War Dogs. I wasn't yeah. like pumped to see War Dogs. I was Dogs. out of town last Thursday too. I mean, All I right, couldn't well, have gone. But I just you. still. I mean, it's the thought that counts. Uh, I saw the Light Between Oceans this week. Oh, how's that? It's okay. 
Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Mm, it's okay. I also saw Obama date the movie, which is very cute. Yeah. Southside with you. D- can you imagine how weird it must oh my be? God. It must be so weird to for be him. Barack and Michelle oh and watch God. that movie. Especially because the guy who is playing Obama looks so much like him and is yeah. doing such a perfect impression. Yeah. It, it, it's probably a little creepy yeah. to think. Even I'm sure they won't see it, but even to think about the fact that that movie exists, I don't think they'll see it immediately. I don't think there's any way they don't eventually see it in their lives. The curiosity. I mean, could you imagine if there was a movie in theaters about your first date with the your now wife? Yeah. No. How would you not see that movie at some point? They're gonna like fucking watch it on Redbox like five years from now. They're gonna be like, we should. Do you think their kids will watch it? The kids will watch it. No question. I have. No doubt that Sasha and Malia will see it in theaters with their friends and lie and say that they didn't see it. The perverse, like, curiosity has to be off the fucking charts on that. Anyway, so that's, yeah. Weird. That's a good Berg report. The movie I saw, it was, Star, like it was Star Trek Beyond. Yeah, people oh, yeah. love Hamilton. You liked Star Trek Beyond, right? Hamilton Hamburger. You're, you're on yeah. the side of good, right? Yeah, it's really good. Oh, what a great movie. Yeah. Once again, a movie that's functional. And yeah, I don't no, mean that in a, a backhanded no, way. That's a movie, right, that's, that's like, old-fashioned. Yeah, yeah, that's, like, pretty, pretty classical. Right. And knowing that, like, they had... From the moment they started conceiving the script yeah. to the moment it came out, they had like 17 months because it's they had to hit a specific crazy. date. It's crazy the movie that is that good. I know. And you get the and sense- And also that if, they locked Simon Pegg, yes. who's obviously a good writer but is in the movies, yeah. in a room in like a cabin with Doug Young, who's yeah. like a screenwriter who, who had written a spec that Abrams right. liked. And they were like, write, it, write us a thing. Yeah. All we need is that the Enterprise crashes. Yes. And, you know, they would just sit there and, like, watch old original series episodes yeah. and, like, you know, it's crazy that that worked. But I even, I listened to this whole interview with Justin Lin, who is my boy. I love Justin Lin. And he said, like, um, it was because those big set pieces take so long to conceptualize that he needed to decide what kind of set pieces they had before they even started writing. Yeah. So he was like, I want a scene where the Enterprise gets taken down. And right. then was like, you guys have to figure out a way to write that in because I need people previsiting that now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if that movie had had like six more months to gestate, it would actually be a full out masterpiece. Like sure. I think it'd be perfect. But I think it as almost, it is, it's like really. I think it solid works as a lean, mean little action movie. That's I like fun, how you know? episodic like, it is. That's exactly. just like that's exactly what I wanted from Star Trek: In the Darkness. Was just now here's an adventure. Yeah, can we? Can they just go on an just adventure? Go on adventure. They I don't have a TV hear, show. Go on see a fucking movie about how government is like rotting from the inside yeah. out. Like I don't need that. It's fun, and guess what? They got lucky. They cast that movie that this fucking franchise so beautifully. They did, and the iconography of this movie is so great even and if you're not someone like me who was raised on star trek that anytime you have a wide shot of the whole fucking group and all these great actors it yeah. feels like you're watching the best movie in the world it's true the other thing that's special versus like the x-men franchise is yeah. they cast people who didn't get that big later no. like they're all doing fine yeah but like carl urban is gonna come back for your movie Simon no one has Pegg's become too big for the franchise the and it felt guy, like pine and quinta were gonna do exactly, that exactly the only guy who's remotely a star is pine and even pine is like not a huge star like none of his things of, have overshadowed star trek and like whereas with x-men it immediately became like oh we have to make a sequel fuck they're all gonna Halle want Barry. 50 right. million dollars right. like what are we gonna she do she won like, an oscar now storm right. has to like the the, the balance yes. of the characters my here's my one major complaint about this film mm-hmm. in our little mini so discussion love it, love it. of star trek beyond at the end of an episode that already was too long uh, I wish they had given uh, Zoe Saldana one thing to do. Yeah, they don't give her much. They give her it. fucking nothing yeah. to do in that movie. And I spent the first 75% going like, wow, Cho and Saldana, who are probably my two favorite actors in the cast. Love them. Love them. Uh, I love both of them so much. Like, oh, man, they're giving them nothing to do. And then Cho at least has, like, the sequence where he has to pilot the ship and he's, like, yes. a fucking badass. Yeah. 
But like Soldana literally has nothing to do in the film. She's captured and that's it. I know it, it sucks. It sucks. She's great. I, I think it, it's also because they wanted to have the the new female hero, yeah. the alien uh, Jaya or Jaya, whatever uh, her name. J Law. J Law. <laughs> Uh, and so, and she's really good. She's good. She's I like good. that character. I think she, I Sophie Basella. I like a lot. Um, I do think I cut into everyone else's hero time. But yeah, go yeah. on. Yeah, no, just just to bring everything full circle. You know, mm, it's not quite the you? same thing. Yes, but there is like that sort of a testament to like the state of movie stardom now, where it's like you have Zoe Saldana is in like three of the four biggest sci-fi franchises, and like isn't really independently a movie star. No. No. Like, she's Ahura, she's Natiri, mm-hmm. and she's Gamora. Yeah. The only major sci-fi franchise she's not in is Star Wars. I have to imagine they'll rope her in at some point because she's such, like, sci-fi geek royalty at this she point. She is. You know? But she's it's a, like She's good at it. She's, she's gotten she's one vehicle on her own. She's got Columbiana, which is, like, yeah. she's good in it. It's like, they didn't give her another shot. Like, the, the, well, these people don't really have She that. shouldn't have spent so much time making a movie about Nina Simone. That was a mistake. Yeah. But also, like, Pine is... Like he's around, Kirk. I need but to his see, things outside of that. I need don't. to see Hell or High Water. Oh, I need to see that too. Yeah. Anyway, this has been another installment of movies that David and Griffin are debating going to see this afternoon. Interested in, yeah. yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, thank you all for listening. Yep. Uh, please. Uh, to our episode about Under Siege Two. Yeah. Thanks for what's, indulging. Ben, us. what's this episode going to be called? Oh, yeah. Under Pod Two Dark Casting. Past I, like, territory. What, yeah. Like, yeah, like, what is this called? Yeah, I think that I think that's under what, pod two cast territory. Yeah, right or or dark cast. How about under podige? No, that's stupid. Uh, <laughs> I just figured out what that is. Yep, that's like a horrifying Frankenstein that Ben tried to create. Yeah, and it like died on the table. It sounded like a Hungarian dish. <laughs> under podige. Yeah, can I get the fried podige, please, with a side of uh, applesauce? No, that first title's great. We don't have to think yeah, about it too great. much. It's great. <laughs> well, uh, tune in next week when we'll be kicking off our James Cameron miniseries, which we haven't named yet because we're recording these episodes out of order. And I'm excited it. though. It's gonna be great. What are and I'll say, call it? "Ooh, baby, get ready." We'll do. We'll do a Twitter poll. Uh, our our boy Pat Reynolds, who's now doing our artwork. Mm-hmm. God, it's oh, a fucking masterwork. We've I've already seen it. hyped it up, but God, it's, it's- Madness. Get ready. You <laughs> folks are going to come. It is, it is a look into the eye of madness. Yes. Yes, that's yeah. what it is. And sometimes madness is beautiful. No, it is. It's yeah. twisted and beautiful. Um, But yes, thanks to Pat Reynolds for the artwork. Thank you to Pat. Uh, thanks again to Lee Montgomery for the theme, theme song, as always. And uh, Ben? Uh, and, oh yeah, Ben. And, as always, mm-hmm. you think this is being shot? This ain't being shot. This has been a UCB Comedy production. Check out our other shows on the UCB Comedy Podcast Network.